Welcome to episode three of Moving with Life. I am Andy Acosta. My friends Eddie Signs and Brian Webinos will be joining me as well. First off, I'd like to thank everybody who's listened up to this point. Any new listeners, welcome. It is appreciated, and I hope you enjoy Moving with Life. With that being said, please subscribe. Please leave feedback, leave reviews. We are on Stitcher, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Uh, any feedback is extremely appreciated. Episode number three dives deeper into good habits, leadership, management, the difference between leadership and management. There are various scenarios and stories that are given in this podcast that uh, allow pr- some perspective to what we've learned uh, in retrospect now, because that's in the past. So what we've learned now and moving forward to become a better leader and help others do well also. That leads to being humble, having humility, wanting better for society, not just in, not just yourself as an individual. So without further ado, here is Moving With Life. Uh, Eddie, what are you saying about uh, check express lines at uh, certain uh, grocery stores? So I uh, went to H-E-B really quick before coming over to get us some beer so we could have some beer for this podcast. And, uh, of course, it's Sunday, H-E-B. It's going to be packed no matter what H-E-B you go to. For some reason, 99.9% of the population on the earth decides it's a good time to grocery shop on Sunday. So uh, it's packed as hell, which is fine. I mean, it happens. But the express line took forever. It took me, like, like 15 minutes in that express line. I probably should have just hopped over to a regular line. It's like, what? what's the cap? It's like 12 items, 30, 12, 15, 15 items? I think HB's 15, and I think Walmart's 10. I think Walmart's 20. Or it varies. Right. I've, seen, I've seen multiple numbers at different stores. So I don't know. I've, seen, I've literally seen 10, I've seen 15, I've seen 20. Either way, it didn't go by very <laughs> fast at all. And I was only behind two people. I mean, most of it probably had to do with the fact that, um, like, the, this person had a lot of fruit, so they were constantly, like, having the, you know, the cashier had to, like, oh, weigh it, count it, do that, whatever, do some jumping jacks, do a push-up. <laughs> <laughs> and get your, then get your whole health kick on. Yeah, it. pretty much. And then, uh, well, then the girl was trying to pay with change, too. She was trying to, like, match the change, so she pulled out a whole bunch of pennies and dimes and nickels, and I'm over <sighs> here, like, sigh. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's a long side, too. Damn. Mm-hmm. And then uh, her friend that was with her was one of my uh, ex-students. So I was just kind of like my head buried in my phone. Like, nope, not about socializing today. Not going to happen. For music music academy? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, nope, not trying to socialize. Not today. No, <laughs> sir. No, thanks. It's Sunday. Sundays aren't for socializing. I not do that me. like every day of the week. You what? I do that like every day of the week. Not socialize or not socialize? Not socialize. If I can help it, I, I feel the same. If I can help like yeah. not socializing, I probably won't. I think I, I think I mentioned this at some point. Well, in the last episode, I was like, I'm not very social. I'm kinda, I kind of keep to myself. Yeah. It's a good way to be. 
stay out of trouble that way. Yep. I don't know. Like it's a it's a weird on and off switch for me. The whole like introvert extrovert thing. And I feel like most of the time I have no control over the switch. It just happens. Are you a uh, an ambivert? Is that what you call it? I read that somewhere. People who are both at different times. That's yeah. That that describes me very well. Like uh, the past couple of gigs we've had, I've like tried to be more extroverted on purpose. So hopefully it comes out a little bit better. But for the most part, I'd I'd rather shut the hell up. <laughs> you know what they say about socializing? What? If you force it, it's probably crap. Mm. Like a fart. <laughs> I thought that's what they use for uh, for love. I think it it can apply in like a lot of different situations. It, it probably can. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty accurate. Yeah, it can definitely apply all over. But speaking of gigs, man, uh, last night I was so exhausted that entire third set. I felt so out of shape. I, I, I don't know what to say to that because you sounded okay. You had asked me at some point, like, how, how do you, I'm like, I thought you sounded good. You know how you feel. I've always said that you know how your body feels. You should listen to your body. But uh, it was very interesting for you to feel like that. I, and I wondered, uh, you know, what took a toll to where up to yesterday, you know, it was just enough. I don't know. I think a lot of it, I came crashing down because of the break. And I've always thought, like, man, if we could just play three hours straight and not take a break, I'd really like to try that and see if it makes a difference for my energy and, and the level of all that. I feel like that after the first set. I mean, we'll go out and I'm, I'm ready. I mean, fine, I know what I have to do, but I do feel like that after the first set almost every single time. Because I feel like the first set we kind of warm up and whatnot. But then, like, you get up to a certain point and then... Then you have to wait, and I, I'm also down for like the three, you know, three hour thing. That one time I played with you, and then you know, in Brownsville, mm-hmm. and I did like the four hour thing. I played with you and her, and like it was good. Like yeah, I was exhausted after, but I didn't stop. I was, I just kept going, going, going. I, I like, pr- I prefer that over. And then what we see in Nashville too, you know, off Broadway and whatnot. You know, these bands that go and play forever. It's, it's awesome to me. It's awesome. Like I, I've heard different opinions here in the Valley, and I'm like, no, like that's good. Like that's how you. And also, honestly, that's how I feel like that's how you get tips as well. Like you keep playing, you keep them entertained, you keep and, you keep and people stick going. around. Yeah, yeah. People don't leave, you know, unless they just they're just really having a shitty time with you playing anyway, so they're gonna leave. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, those you can't control, but like if you can play and you know still you know do your job regardless, you know the people will stay more than likely. Uh, one thing that came on that podcast where it isn't see yesterday on the road. Uh, as far as uh, you know, playing different genre music in intermissions and whatnot, I think that has a lot to do with it too. And that's all like a part like a good thing for the venue, but then that messes up everything for the band. Yeah, and and I feel like that's especially true with the scenarios they were talking about. Whereas they're playing at you know venues that are you go on and you have an opener and then it's you and you do your ninety minute, you know, mostly original thing. And then you get off, and then you go do it the next night, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Versus we are just kind of entertainment for three hours, four hours, whatever. Right. You know? So we're just expected to be there and sing Neon Moon until people lose their minds. That still blows my mind. I don't mind playing it. I don't mind playing it ever. I ju- it just blows my mind that how short of a, uh, what's the look word I'm looking for, like, uh, like attention span that we have, but yet those songs just get played over and over, and it always gets their attention. Yeah. I mean, I get it. It's a good song. Neil Moon's a good song. Don't get me wrong. It's just, uh, I don't know. 
It's like what kind of, what kind of what kind of dichotomy is that? Where short attention span, but yet those particular songs stick forever and will stick forever. Well, I mean, I get it. Like they're timeless songs, and they're going to be timeless for a reason. They're very well written, very catchy, and like content is there. It's very relatable. It sticks. But damn it, I just like I want to play and hear something new mm-hmm. every now and then. <laughs> right? No, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. You're gonna say something, Brian? Yeah. Well, I mean, I was just gonna say that maybe it's not like there's no correlation between a good song and short attention span. Maybe it's just a good, catchy song, and people like to hear it. Yeah. That's Maybe that's all it is. Yeah. There's the neon moons, the wagon wheels, the copperhead roads, the cupid shuffles, the wobbles. <laughs> and actually, interesting thing, and en- interesting enough, like when they were bringing up the wobble and whatnot, like those songs came out like in 2006, 2008. Like that's almost 10 years ago now, which is so the crazy. Catchy. And the lyrics, oh, oh man. Mm-hmm. Right, right, yeah. Right. <laughs> Especially for those like those. Uh, Dan- those like line dance quote unquote pop songs, uh, those group dance songs that that you know everybody just wants. And but what what just got me was just the the, ma- the fact that it's been that long that those songs have been out. You know, and, and now the time of songs fine, but for me it's the time that they're still you know like the songs. You know, you you will never miss them. You won't confuse them. Mm-hmm. Bars won't leave them out. Wow, Neon Moon's runtime is four minutes and twenty six seconds. Can you imagine? A four-minute, twenty-six-second song on radio now. I didn't even realize that. So that's um, a minute less. Yeah, um, I'm looking it up right now because um, I wanted to get the year and the duration of the song is four minutes and twenty-six seconds. People would flip. Or oh, sorry, twenty-one. The official is four minutes twenty-one seconds. Even and then, radios would flip, right? Yeah, Say? they would. They would see that and not even bother to put it in the player. They just four minutes twenty-one seconds. Trash. Too long. And it came out in 1992. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Damn it. And now you're just trying to stay within 3.30, you know, now, right? Is that what, that's what it is? Any yeah. More or less? Between 3.30 and 4. And if uh, if they even see the number 4, they're, uh, they're already hesitant to play it. That's crazy. I think that's a good, like, uh, show of short attention span. They probably think, oh, too long. Listeners are not going to stick around. They're going to change the station. And they're not wrong. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part, right? For the most part, yeah. And then that's also the, uh, you know, they, they, they need more space to sell ads and stuff like that. So if you're taking up a whole extra 30 seconds or a whole extra minute of that's ad time that could be two. selling, then, yeah, they're they're really not about it. Well, what I'm going to bring <laughs> up, what I what after this situation, after I just uh, consoled with myself of what I did, um, what came up to me is, uh, have you ever had anything mess up that was that it wasn't career affecting it's not like maybe career direct, but it's just something personal that like maybe you messed it up and uh it was more important to you than you know others 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 are detached from this situation so they don't feel like that emotional connection in this case we were i you know i messed up the podcast so i was like i was very upset with myself okay it happened now i'm i'm, I'm okay but have you guys ever had that experience where you come something, you know, personal, not necessarily career altering or, you know, anything like that, but just something where you felt it that maybe in retrospect, you were very attached to that situation? Yeah, but um, I'm going to I'm going to pass the mic to Brian after I say this so I can think about a situation where this happened. But from the top of my head, it really only gets like that with situations where it affects other people. Just like, I guess, in this way that me and Brian 
are a part of this podcast like you are, so you're responsible for the editing and, and putting it up and, and the actual content itself, the recorded content, and you lost it. So, of course, you felt bad because it also affected me and Brian. But with me and Brian's standpoint, it's like, whatever. We'll just yeah, meet we'll up just this afternoon right. and drink some beer and record it again. Right, <laughs> and, and that's the thing. Like, when you guys, when Brian's, because I knew Brian was working today, so I'm like, man, okay, you know, I wasn't going to ask you guys to come, come, come tonight. I, I, we, had the, we had the backup one, so I was like, okay, we have that. Wasn't going to worry about it. But then when you guys offered, you know, to record today, I was like, okay, that's where I kind of, I did, I was able to come to just my own consensus to like, okay, let's just do it again, you know, remark what we can and, you know, move forward. Yep. Yeah, this, well, I was down to do it because this whole week I've been working all week, Monday through Sunday. So it was like, eh, like it doesn't even matter, like that I work tomorrow. It's, it's all good. But, um, that's gross that you worked all week. I know. It has to be done. I could, I could, I really couldn't believe it when I saw, because I saw your snap before I texted you, and I was like, "This guy's at work." I'm like, "Man, I, I couldn't believe it. That's crazy." Yeah. Not, Sunday, not on a Sunday. Monday. Not on a Sunday. Saturday, okay, I, I get it. Full day, sun, full day Saturday, but you basically had a full day today too, so you worked yeah. seven days straight, full, yep. full, full shifts. And who knows if I'll get next weekend off? Yeah, that's how. Well, but I won't get well, into it. Oh, busy. You're just, you're just busy. Yeah. It's, it, you're, the company's busy. You're moving. And, you know, things need to get done to keep going. Yep. So back to that question. Yes. At least for me, like, I don't, I can't remember something in, you know, recently. Um, And I feel that I always pretty much detach from the situation because I don't want to dwell on it. So it's kind of forgotten. But I I think the same thing applies that Eddie said, you know, when it affects other people, I feel really bad about it because it's not just my time and effort or, you know, or how I feel about the situation, it affects other people. So, but when when something like that happens, like you, I think that I find it best that you can't dwell on it. You just kind of got to move on and and adjust, get it done, find deal an alternative. Yeah. yeah. Grr. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know. no, I'm saying for me, I'm saying yeah, I, I I hear you guys it's like, but else for me, it's always it's one of the things that I always talk about, like, um, I guess, uh, preaching and doing. So when, you know, because you guys are detached in this situation, you know, this current situation and we're, it's like, okay, I hear what you guys are saying and I don't disagree. just, I still feel it. It just takes time to like, just kind of come back down to zero and, you know, like be really okay with it. Cause I'm still not okay with it, but you know, it's good to just take me a little bit to like, okay. Yeah. I think this after is we're like done with this, I'll be like, okay, I need to edit this and get, you know, just get back to work. Basically yeah. that's all I'm going to do. Just get back to work. And we're uh, alive. <laughs> yeah. We're alive. It's fine. Yeah. Um, I can think of a time. I know you said not necessarily um, career-wise, but I'm gonna I'm gonna use a career example. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So um, the first time we were supposed to play, well, the first time we've only played there one time. The uh, the time that we were supposed to play Bourbon Street in McAllen yeah. on my birthday. Yeah, I remember. Which is July 31st for anybody listening. If you want to give me gifts. But nobody's uh, listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's also Harry Potter's birthday, actually, which is a J.K. Rowling's birthday. Fun fact. Nice. Nice. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. August 27th, you said? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> July 31st. Anyway, we're supposed to play there at Bourbon Street on my birthday, and we'd set that up maybe a couple of months prior. And so I kind of dropped the ball as far as making sure that everything was good to go. And, um, and you know, I didn't, I didn't do that until maybe like a couple of days before when I really should have been doing it the, the week before, but I forget what was going on around that time and it just slipped my mind i wasn't focused in 
So I forgot to just call and confirm, like, hey, we're on this weekend? Cool. Yes? Apparently we weren't. So um, it was like two days before the gig, and uh, and the guy's like, yeah, I don't have you on the calendar. And I was like, what? You know? And so now we had this whole big fiasco. And, and they owned up to it. Like, it was a scheduling mishap on their end because we had all the, or I had, rather, all the proof, like, over text message and phone call that we had, you know, set that date up. And they didn't mark it down, and they instead got a DJ that night. I remember. I remember wow. That. Yeah. So, uh, so we were without a gig that weekend, and I was like, "Well, damn it!" Like, and, and and of course, like the the major fault is that of the person that booked the gig who did not mark it down on their calendar, and they owned up to it, which is was cool of them to do. Not a lot of people necessarily do, but um, I still feel bad for not checking in sooner. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I I remember you calling that night or the night I guess it was the night before because you had called I guess that Friday or whatever and and I was like okay cool like I mean okay like that that's a good example of like you know me being detached from you being the CEO and having to deal with booking on a daily basis not just a weekly basis but daily thing to call and reference back and make sure everything's settled for us to you know work and get paid but uh, I do remember that I'm like it's okay Eddie like take a deep breath I remember, I remember talking to you about that just we're we're good you know you on my end you're good you know. Make mistakes happens. You know, now it'd be different if let's let's just say you know you double booked and you forgot to you know you, it was you changing your calendar. It was you you know that you know had that mishap you know writing it in, but it wasn't. I mean that I, I guess I've also had those gigs happen before as well. So I was able to just okay, it, 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 this happens. This is reality. That oh, I mean we're humans. We make mistakes, and I was okay with it. You know, you have to tell everybody else. So you know, everybody took their own uh, piece. You know, as far as. Uh, how they felt about, you know, this double book, oh, quote-unquote, booking, you know, mishap. So uh, I do remember that distinctly. Yeah, I, I hated it so much, and I was so frustrated, kind of like the way you're frustrated now with uh, accidentally deleting, a, you know, a recorded podcast that we hadn't put out yet that we were going to put out. Well, because, like, it affects your payout because you're supposed to get paid from that. I was supposed to get paid from that. Whoops, names. But um, <laughs> anyway, you know, the band was supposed yeah, to get yeah. paid from that, and then we're just gonna lay there and not get paid but we, we we turned it into a net positive we went to hillbillies for my birthday and we got we well did. i got yeah you did <laughs> i remember that i was like what do we do for that that's when we ended up at hillbillies that was like that was the last time i we went to hills for a long time like a few months that i, had I remember that and i wasn't even there <laughs> yeah it was a fun time uh manager who's a uh become a really good friend like got a shots and and stuff it was, it was and some more and some more and some more yeah, that was a good time. We had some other good friends there that were down for for the summer from school, mm-hmm. from grad school, law school, which is so stuff awesome. like that. Yeah, heck yeah, it was good to see you catch up. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of uh, booking gigs, though, I was so relieved and also nervous as hell to finally <laughs> book us uh, an outside of town gig. Yes. Yeah, out of town gig. Should have said that. Instead of outside of town, what is that? No one says outside of town. <laughs> Out of town. You're setting trends, Eddie Science. <laughs> Starting new ones. I'm tired of the old stuff. <laughs> you put that in lyrics. I uh, <laughs> I almost failed to get us that one actually because I've been in contact with um, with that that person from that venue for a while for the past several weeks, mm. and uh, you know they were just always busy and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna check your email. I'll get back to you. Cool, whatever. 
And then they finally got back to me today, like, hey, do you have a fan base around this area? And, I mean, I'm not going to lie about it. I, mean, I told them, like, I mean, no. Like, my fan base in that area is still in a birthing stage because I've only ever played there one time, and it was with another person where we did a song swap. Right. So, I mean, it's, like, very early in the fan stage for me. But I have had several people from that area that were there that night that saw that show that were asking when I was going to be coming back to, to play again because nice. they really enjoyed it. Yeah. Right. So I took screenshots of that, and I sent her. I was like, I was like, no, I was like, I don't really have a fan base there necessarily, but I have people that, you know, it's getting there. It's in the birthing stage. There's there's proof of concept. Right, I say, yeah, exactly. You're, you're getting you that know, feedback already. Yeah, there's good. some feedback going on. And this person goes, okay, and that was it. And I was like, oh, this isn't good. <laughs> <laughs> and I put, so are we going to be able to book a date there? Because if so, I'd really like to set that up for the future and start, you know, routing around it and, and et cetera, et cetera. And this person basically told me, like, yeah, like, you need to be able to draw in 30 to 50 people. And my response to that was basically, he's like, well, I was like, I mean, I've only ever played there one time. He's like, all I need is one night. After that, I'm sure I can get people back in the door in the future. So whoever's there is going to love it. I'm right. positive. He's like, I believe in my music and my message and what I'm doing enough that it's going to draw some people in mm -hmm. over time. And so I was like, all I need is one night. Just take the risk. It's like, if you don't, like, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. All I need is one night. And if not, what are some other venues around that area that I can focus on to build a fan base to eventually play your room? Right, exactly. Or even that, build your room, like, business that you're going to give somebody else that they could, they could start with you now. Yeah. yeah. Money now is better than money tomorrow. Yes. And... Um, so we basically worked out the deal for it to, to beat uh, us taking a percentage of the door instead of a base pay. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, even when you brought that up, I'm like, okay, like I, it's, it's, it's going to be our first time, even us that are going up, you know, it, it's going to be the first time. So it's not, I mean, it's going to be a fun trip either way. Like, we're, we're going to have a good time. We've always had a good time. So we're going to, you know, that will bring that energy up, you know, up to, uh, where's it, Conroe? Uh, and then, you know, we'll proceed from there and hopefully they'll, you know, we'll be back soon after that. Yeah, well, I see the acts that are that they got playing there right now, and I'm like, yeah, like we fit into that category, you know. That's good. That's good. Um, I have yet, yeah, I haven't done much research on that. It's that an it's venue. a neat place. It's a uh, it's like a half listening room, half bar restaurant kind of thing. Oh yeah, I would definitely. But I, I can see yeah, that. Yeah, but their focus is on on like songwriters. Good, they appreciate that. songwriters. That's, that's part of the main thing, especially for your writing, is that you know you want listening rooms, you want. "Quote unquote venues," as I said on the, the Bad Truth podcast, but right you know, you, the, at least that type of venue. There's there's still there's still different type of venues. Then you have that one. You have Brewster Street, which is totally you know not totally different, but it's just a different room. You know, it's a different way of doing things. Yeah. Anyway, that made me feel really proud this afternoon, but also really scared <laughs> to like finally have that that going. Yeah. Because then I have to think about the logistics now. Because. Uh, What's that saying? It's like Sturgill Simpson said this recently on an interview. I think with like Charlie Rose or someone like that on BBC. Anyway, irrelevant. The quote was something like, "Well, you know what they say about like about hard work. Hard work is rewarded, uh, rewarded, rewarded with more hard work." Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So it's just okay. I worked, I guess, kind of hard to book this gig. Like I really pushed it. Yeah, you pushed right. You pushed your you pushed your case. You yeah. Pushed your case. Yeah, pushed my case. Really just went all in on it. And and persevered through it until she didn't tell me no. And then we set something up. So okay, now I gotta promote the show. Probably gonna 
like uh, you know, make a uh, what's called a flyer, get a graphic designer to make a flyer, mm. send it to them so they can hang it up in their venue and start promoting within good time. And then of course I got to promote it on my end, probably take out some sponsored advertisements on social media and et cetera, yeah. et cetera, you know, and like aim it at a target audience. So this is going to be like a whole new thing that I've never had to do before that I'm gonna have to be a pro at now. So I'm just gonna do my best to execute that and uh, hopefully set us up for a success when we get up there so we can make some good cash and have a good gig. Have enough money to get home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, break even. Mm -hmm. Or just stay up there and gig until you make enough money to come back home. Well, I'll probably try to find us a routing gig. Like I'll probably try to get us at Little Woodrow's in San Antonio. Ooh, that'd be good one, Like yeah. the night before. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, yeah, and then get up there and, and get some gas money with that. That's a cash gig. You know? That'd be good. Good cash gig. And that'll be fun anyway. We've we've been before, so mm -hmm. hopefully we can promote that and it will be back there. It'll be good. It'll be good turnout. Yep, for sure, for sure. No, Conroe is in the Houston area, so I don't know how effective it would be to. I guess for us, it's kind of not necessarily on the way, but it's just a little bit of a. Well, I was gonna you know, say it's honestly not that far. No, it's it's, it's just a little it's bit. It's shorter of a, than uh, going from the valley to Houston or from the valley to even San Antonio. Like it, that distance from San Antonio to Conroe slash Houston is not that far. You're there before you know it. You take I-10 back that way and you're good to go. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah, it's not, it's not that big a deal. As far as time, as far as uh, the space, you know, it, you know, you're going in a triangle from the valley to Houston to San Antonio back home. It's actually a pretty good triangle, I think, this, as far as timing either which way. That's fair. Yeah, but uh, so I felt really good, really accomplished about that, and now I just got to grind that much more for that gig. <laughs> Make sure it goes well. So I'm nervous as hell, but kind of excited. Mostly excited, but kind of nervous. Mostly nervous, kind of excited. <laughs> just goes in a, in a never-ending circle of nervous excitement. Until you get there, you get the gig done, you succeed, and... You are satisfied. And then right. you're like, okay, when, so when are we coming back? You're and then you push the envelope even further. Yeah, exactly. Pretty much, though. That's how it goes. <clears throat> It'll be nice to have a gig where the focus is mostly the originals and pushing that. Yes, because I cannot wait till that record comes out. And everybody listening, for the record, it's going to be awesome. I hope people receive it well. I I hope it doesn't like fly over a lot of people's heads. It's not um in my opinion, like not like to brag on my project, but I I don't think it's in the slightest bit a mindless piece of material. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I do agree. Like there's some engagement required. Right. And that that's where I hope, you know, people actually listen to what, you know, you're trying to say. That's what I would argue is listen to what he's trying to say. There's some good stuff on there. Well, I hope it comes across, and like most of the um, the feedback I get when we are out of town, like that one time we played at a uh, uh, what was it, the lot in Dallas. Yes. Some dude told me, he's, "Hey, man, like your you, your voice and your stuff really remind me of like the Ryan Bingham, like Jason Isbelly kind of thing." And mm -hmm. I was like, "He gets it, yeah, <laughs> 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 you know." So I was like, "Okay, one person got it." There was like a hundred people there that night at least, but one person got yeah. it. Well, that's what you want for you. Statistically speaking, for every hundred people, you only expect five percent response. Hmm. And he's just the the one that told you about it. Yeah. Maybe there were others who had the same impression and just didn't get to tell you. Right. Yeah. Maybe. But that that's what I learned. I mean, that's something that I learned 
through more. At the beginning, it was all theory, but now putting it into context with like you and then like different things on other businesses that I'm, I guess I help and you know oversee. Uh, that that's that it seems to be to be pretty accurate. You know, for every hundred people, you're gonna get about five percent response, which is five people. So that and that's your max. So you hundred, so you gonna go to a thousand. That's ten. You go to ten thousand. That's a hundred. You know, it, you go up. That, that's their increments, and that's what you're working with. Interesting, man. Customer acquisition is a hell of a thing. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's very much a thing. You know, it's it's, it's as important as anything else. Yeah, and um, I guess that's why I like watching the show Shark Tank so much because like I learn a lot from the people who are doing so poorly with their business because I like to put myself in their shoes, like in and just. Even if I'm not necessarily doing poor with my own business, which I mean I probably am sometimes, <laughs> most times, but um, I at least like to put myself in their shoes and then think about all the problems that the sharks are pointing out with their business, and then I try to draw a parallel to to my own, right? Right, right, yeah, absolutely. So customer acquisition would be a thing. So how much does it cost me to acquire a customer, acquire a listener? How much does it cost me? It's like, well, it cost me the gas to get to the gig. It cost me the money to pay you guys, mm-hmm. and then it. You know, all the uh, in-betweeners there. Yeah. Well, the gas to get to and from the gig. Yeah. We have to get back home. That's why you put, you know, gigs in between gigs so you can at least make some money and then get gas to get home. Have gas to get home. I guess the the intricate thing about customer acquisition in the uh, field of music is that when one person gets really fired up about your music, they tend to tell other people. Yes. About it. Or at least play it around other people. And then hopefully it, you know, kind of the wildfire effect. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, off. I feel like at some point everybody thought that social media was like the thing. But I've learned that word of mouth is just as effective. As word of mouth else. is still better, I, I think, yeah. from what I can tell. And what's even scarier is that they, if they don't like it, it'll spread even faster. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> yeah. But there's no such thing as bad publicity. No such thing. You get negative response, yeah. but it's but you're still getting you're still, you're still getting, getting your name yeah. said. Like if somebody says, "Hey, this guy's music sucks," listen to go it. check it out on Spotify. Yeah, <laughs> they're still gonna listen to it, and and I bet not everybody will think that it sucks, and it, you know, you'll have publicity, you'll have new listeners, regardless. Yeah. You'll still get plays on Spotify. I'm not saying I want to be the Rebecca Black of country music, <laughs> but <laughs> it's better than being the nothing of uh, yeah. of country music, yeah. I guess. There's many artists that do that now, and they just promote it a different way. But it's the same thing. The one thing, though, that I will refuse to do is like sing songs or write songs for the sake of, I guess, pleasing other people. And I know that sounds like the complete opposite of of what needs to be, you know, happening. But like, it, if I'm gonna get on stage, like you know, two, three, four nights out of the week and have to sing songs that I don't like or that I'm not proud of, then what's what's the point? Yeah, that's actually uh, interesting because I wonder how I wonder how some ma- some mainstream artists really feel about that because they promote like, oh, they love it. But I, w- I mean, I don't I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not judging or saying anything beyond, you know, that. But it's like, man, like, how can you lie about it? And I wonder. I do, too. And um, story time. So uh, going into my senior year of college, I was contacted by a management company in Nashville. They mostly managed 
Christian artists, but they were uh, they had a, a little bit of success with a few country acts, specifically duos. So what they had contacted me for was to pair up with this guy that they found who was also of Hispanic heritage. And uh, he's from California. And so they wanted us to team up and be like basically what Dan and Shay is now for country music, like the the Hispanic or Latin American or whatever right. duo for country music, right? And um, so that was going to be us. And I was like, well, this is better than nothing so i might as well entertain this and and see what it's about and meet with these people and meet this other guy and see what's up and so this all happened a couple weeks before i left back to nashville so i got back to nashville and then within that same week i had a meeting with them went to go sit down with them in their offices and you know talk about all that stuff and so i met this guy and you know we went and we got some beers together and he's super nice super nice guy super chill our music taste and our vision for what we wanted to do musically um, as individuals didn't really match up. So working as a team, like as a duo, to me seemed a very distant possibility at that point because we were so completely different in our music tastes and, and the kind of music we wanted to, to be writing and be performing, be singing, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm still writing it out at this point. I'm giving it a shot. And... Um, you know, these uh, people start shopping us around town and, like, finding us songs. And so, you know, um, we're meeting and, and we're going over some songs they're sending us and whatever. And I'm just not really feeling any of these, you know, quote-unquote country pop songs, you know. Okay. And I'm just not feeling it. He really is. A couple weeks go by and I'm just kind of like, yeah, this isn't really for me. Um, and I was very torn up getting to that decision. Because it seemed like it could have gone somewhere, and it could have gotten me a lot of connections. And a lot of people were telling me, just write it out for the connections. Maybe you don't stick with it, but write it out for the connections. And I was like, yeah, like I understand, but uh, I don't know. So um, I was telling my voice coach about this, who's also basically like one of my best friends and like a huge mentor um, to me, not just musically, but like in life, you know. Right. And I'm telling him about this, and he knows, happens to know a guy that was managed by the same manager. So he gives me his contact info, and I get a hold of this guy, and I'm like, hey, like, so-and-so told me to reach out to you. This is my situation. And, um, you know, this guy was telling me that, that you used to be managed by this manager, and what was your experience like, yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. So he gets back to me, and we have a phone call, and he's basically telling me, like, yeah, this manager, like, basically like skimmed a, like millions of dollars like under the table from us Dang. when he was managing us like he ripped us pretty bad i was like wow it's pretty nuts don't want that to happen to me for sure anyway and so uh he goes beyond this manager like taking advantage of us financially he goes like going back to your situation you know like you're saying like this is music that you don't even really care to be performing or singing so why is it even a question, you know? Because like, when you get in front of an audience and you try to perform something that you don't believe in, they're going to know. Right. And, and that was his advice. So I was like, all right, well, I guess the answer's pretty easy from here. So yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So I, I told the manager, I'm done. Uh, I don't want to be a part of the situation. Appreciate the opportunity. No bad blood. Whatever. Yeah. Still a business. And that's another thing that I kind of, I know I've been uh, fighting with myself as far as like that like it was like oh I, I need to make a living i need to put money food on the table i'm like 
like you really you're really willing to go against what you believe what you think we're talking music just music i mean there's other things that you know are out of your control but when it comes to doing entertainment and doing a service like that uh putting money in front of the art and the craft i have trouble relating or even like accepting that yeah it defeats the whole purpose of why we maybe started playing or performing or writing in the first place so it's just it's kind of like what's the point the other guy, though, the guy I was supposed to be a duet partner with took it pretty bad. He was pretty butthurt about it. <laughs> well, oh, well, let, let's, just, let's say he liked it. Well, that's his thing. You know, he, he, was, he was attached because he, he was down for the situation. He was down for the project. Well, and he'd also, I, I guess, I mean, I'm not in his shoes, right? I'm not living his life, so I could be completely wrong. But the, the conclusion that I drew from knowing him and learning about him and his career path, he had been told no a whole bunch of times. Like, just, he'd, you know, taken a whole bunch of no hits, basically, okay? And so someone finally told him, yes, but contingency, you're going to be a duo with another person because we don't think you can, like, hold the stage on your own. Mm. And so I was like, ah. I, if someone told me that, I'd I'd feel terrible. And yeah. I would just probably work on my own stuff. I was going to say, just work on performance. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and honestly, the only way to do that is play gigs. You got you to gotta get out there. You got to play shows. Uh, like they were talking about that, that podcast we were listening to yesterday. As far as, uh, you know, practicing a bunch at home and knowing every single lick, but yet you get in front and you have stage fright. This stage fright or, you you know, you lose it or something. And then you can't perform. It's like yeah. that's where you need to, you know, be able to transition that theory to context. That would be that situation. Uh, yep. example. You have to be able to execute when it actually counts. Yep. Yeah. But anyway, so this guy had been told no so many times. So this was like, finally, he'd, you know, done something worthy and we were going to be a duo. And finally, his career is going to take off in some, you know, sort. I will admit to you, I was a very young and arrogant and naive human being then. So the way I handled the situation with him wasn't necessarily something uh, I'm proud of. So, like, I... uh, I basically didn't even tell him like that I was like out. I just told the manager, and that was it. And I figured, well, they'll tell him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot easier to uh, to do that. I, I, yeah. Yeah, and so he still wanted to hear it from me though. So he was contacting me left and right through every outlet, through email, text message, phone call, voicemail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. He was messaging me like, "Hey, man, like." Are we still down, like, you know, practice this week or rehearse this week or get together for a beer or something? Like, what's going on? Did you get to... Oh, we had been issued contracts, too. Mm. So, you know, and that's basically when things got serious for me. It's like, okay, well, I can't necessarily ride this out for a couple of weeks anymore. This is going to be riding it out for a whole year. Right, yeah, you're under, when, right. when coming down to the contract. So I was like, that's when I decided to, you know, make that decision and, and get out before I had to sign anything. And so he was concerned that, that I hadn't signed my contract yet, and he signed his on the spot mm. when they right. issued it to us in the office, which I was like, dude, you you really need to smarten up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't disagree with that. <sighs> you, uh, yeah, I definitely i am very careful with stuff like that now because uh, any, any word or anything can just alter everything. Yeah, yeah. I see that. It's nuts. And... um Anyways, yeah, he signed that contract so fast. He was so ready for it. And um, well, I, I actually got someone to, to look at mine and give me pointers. And there was a whole bunch of 
discrepancies with the contract that my entertainment lawyer thought needed to be looked at again and changed. But anyway, I guess that's kind of irrelevant. So this guy was contacting me left and right, and I just never, never got back to him. Even his girlfriend tried calling me. <laughs> wow. that's, yeah. that's extensive. Hey, Maybe that you haven't gotten back to yeah, so-and-so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on? Right. Is, is everything okay? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I was, I was really t- I handled that situation so terribly. I feel bad about it. And so one night, I was in a bar that I'm never in. Um, there in Nashville, it's called the Tin Roof on Demunbrian. <laughs> yeah. I'm never, I was never, ever, ever a regular at that bar. But the people I, w- I was with for, for that night that I was hanging out with wanted to go to that bar. And I was like, all right, whatever, I'll deal with it. You know, get some drinks. Right. Relax, mm-hmm. I guess. Try to. With all the frat guys and sorority chicks around from Vanderbilt. The bad ones, not the, uh, not oh. the good ones like oh. me and Brian. Oh. The ones that, that you know that that do yeah. really gnarly things. <laughs> yeah, I get it. <laughs> Anyways, the ones that cause trouble, you know. Yeah, the ones that are always like trying to like take fights for no reason. Anyway, <laughs> so we're at this bar, and I run into this guy in the restroom. Like I'm like waiting in line at the at the men's room, and he's the there. Guy, the other half of your duo. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So, and this is a few months after the fact. So it's first time running into him, and and remember. I had never gotten back to him or his girlfriend or anyone else that he tried to get to contact me. So, like, yeah, <laughs> awkward. So they're in line, and at this point, like, I was pretty drunk as a skunk, man. Like, I was, <laughs> I was buzzing pretty hard. And so I go up to the guy. I'm like, hey, man. You went up to him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard this story. Go, keep going. Hey, man, like, so good to see you. <laughs> How you been? <laughs> I was, God bless, I was, I was pretty gone. <laughs> and he just looks at me like so disgusted, man. And, you know, he shakes my hand and he's like, yeah, been good, been good. You know, really straight face, whatever. And I just get right into it and I tell him, hey, man, I'm really sorry for how I handled that whole situation. I really should have been a better human being about that. And I should have, you know, responded back to your messages and, you know, been honest with you about how I was feeling and that I was going to, you know, walk out on the deal, basically. And I, I just told him, like, I, I'm super sorry, man. I totally apologize for that. And and I hope we can, like, put it behind us. And it's nothing against you and nothing against the manager or whatever. It's just, you know, my own thing. And he was just like, yeah, man, you're young. You'll learn. He's like, what an asshole. <laughs> but, wow. <laughs> you had it coming, Eddie. I take it back. <laughs> I take it back. <laughs> but, Yeah. So he didn't even really accept my apology necessarily. And then some other drunken fr- frat asshole, frasshole, frat hole, <laughs> whatever, like decides to kick in the, the stall on where some dude is, you know, going number two. Oh, man. And then so, uh, and the my other half of the duo, like, you know, in the middle of our conversation, like, sees that happen. He's like, hey, man, what are you doing? Don't be like that. Don't wow. be a dick, and he like starts like almost about to choke this guy out for being a for being an asshole. Wow. He's a really big guy. He's a gym trainer, uh-huh. like he's very fit. He's actually like a CrossFit champion now. Yeah, dang. So he um, because of you. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm responsible for his CrossFit <laughs> success. <laughs> but uh, but that's what he did with his life. That's what he's doing with his life right now. Like he 
I guess after that, figured the music thing wasn't going to work out. So he went really hard into the gym training thing, which was his, his job, you know, that to was, pay bills. Yeah, right. He went really hard and all in on that, and he's like a CrossFit champion now, and Dang. it's pretty nuts. Yeah, well, he's huge. Then I can, uh, yeah, those CrossFit p- competitors are ridiculous. Yeah, he's a very fit individual, very very fit. I have some very uh, narrow opinions about CrossFit, but I'm not gonna get into them today. Well, what about him? <laughs> <laughs> it didn't work. You it's brought it healthy. up. <sighs> well, in general. In summation, it's all, uh, all I see it as wear and tear on your joints. And if you do wrong technique, like it starts with techniques. You can't even do, I mean, some people are doing like, you know, let's say 100 deadlifts or whatever in like, let's say five minutes, right, whatever. If you're doing wrong technique, you're not only going to get hurt, you're never going to move again, more than likely. You're going to break your spine, you're going to do something. And, um... I definitely would like to go into a tangent about that later, but I'm not going to right now. But that's that's all I see right now. In general, it's 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 wear and tear in your joints, and it's gonna f- and you think you're hurting right now. Like I'd say after like post wor- post CrossFit workout, these people are doing like quote uh, the what do they call WODs, you know whatever uh, workout of the days. Uh, when they're doing that, and they're doing it you know early in the morning, and then like oh by the end of the week they they're they quote unquote sore or they're hurting. Imagine in a year. Imagine in two years, imagine in three years. Okay, imagine in ten years. That's what I'm saying. Just work out and be healthy. It's important to develop good habits. Yeah, because uh, when, I'm, when I'm working with clients at, at uh, the gym I work at, I, I pin that. And when it gets too busy, some, sometimes I can't get too deep into the, the technique. But people, have I think, have, are now starting to find what I'm about at the gym because I'm like, okay, you're doing that wrong. And then, and then like, I know some people that have been there for like you know a couple of years maybe and they're still like doing the same things instead of being able to do more now while maybe goals are different for different people fine but if your technique is wrong that's why you're not able to do more anyways so even if you wanted to do more you couldn't because you're doing wrong technique from the get-go and i'm not down for that uh i feel like if you're gonna make if you're gonna make health and working out part of your daily routine do it right same goes for just about everything. If you're going to do something, might as well do it right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And if it's not a hell yeah, don't do it at all. Where did you, yeah. you get that from? You got that from somebody. Uh, I heard you. I, you've told me, you've told I me actually, that. I actually read it, I think, in Tools of Titans. Oh, okay. I read it. Uh, but he got it from somebody else. Right, right. No, I, uh, I figured it comes from somebody, right. Because I remember you saying if it's, if it's not a hell yeah. Isn't it? It's not Seth Godin. It might be Sivers. It might be Derek Sivers, which is actually cr- uh, CD Baby, Eddie. Mm. That's the guy. He's the guy who sold CD Baby for $20 million. Gotcha. Genius. But uh, I'm a TuneCore oh, user myself. I'm not a CD Baby person. Yeah. I just remember CD Baby, when he, when, when, I saw, when I listened to the, the Derek Sivers episode on Tim Ferriss, I remember CD Baby, because you had mentioned him, Eddie. You had mentioned him at some point. I'm like, oh, that's, that's who, like, you know, that's the guy. And then when I found out, like, oh, no, he's the guy who created but yet sold it for $20 million. I'm like, pfft. Oh my God! Imagine creating a company like that that's still existent, and you got like this amount of money at the time. You know, this is years back, but he got twenty million, twenty-two million. That's like pretty that. nuts. Yeah. And it was, well, when I read when I read that story, uh, he was talking about how you don't need to spend too much time on a business plan and this and that. It, it takes. It took him like fifteen minutes to come up with with a business plan. And, and I remember it. He walked into like basically a vinyl store or whatever. Yeah, a local store. Yeah, local, just a local record shop in general, right? 
and he said, "Hey, like, how do you guys, how do you guys do consignment? Right? It was consignment. Yeah, like they they yeah. consign records. Like people can take the records, consign, and then you know they sell them and they get the they get the fee." And he's like, "Okay," and he did that in that city, baby. Yeah, he was like that. They told him, um, "We we charge uh, four dollars flat, yeah. and you set your price based on that." So he took that home and started his own company. Yeah, he's like, "I'll charge you five four bucks for like let's say I think," but he also went into like kind of detail as far as like like let's say forty five minutes of work to like he had he had to create the database for all these CDs, right? Because he was basically he's his target market was new artists trying to get music out to sell uh, via e commerce. So. You know, he would, let's say, you know, you're paying for this time, you're paying for this, you're paying for this, and then, you know, you you pay for that, and you, then the rest of it go to you, go back to you. Yeah, he determined that his time for doing all that was worth $25, so he's like, I'll charge $25, and then he was like, but wait, what if I want to offer discounts? He's like, so I'll, I'll charge $35, and that way I can offer a discount anytime and still make money. Yep. Ah, oh God, those always get me. It's good, dude. It's good. Uh... As we continue this podcast, we'll definitely go into more as Brian continues reading as I, and as I continue listening. But there's definitely a lot of those cool, li- those are the little golden nuggets I talk about. Yeah. Uh, like when I talk, when we're talking about Jocko podcast, when I like this, uh, when Brian Stan talked about it, a uh, talk this past Wednesday, uh, there's a lot of golden nuggets. Had I stopped listening to Jocko, I wouldn't have heard Brian Stan. You know, uh, he's a, I believe, a third battalion, second Marines, a Silver Star recipient that was on a Jocko podcast this past week. And he talks about, of course, leadership and uh, different elements that he learned while being in the Marines and being over overseas. Very cool. But yeah, I'm gonna have to check that out, man. I haven't given Jocko a listen in a minute. Yeah, hot minute. Honestly, I've been on, I've been more heavy on a. I have to gr- I have to say a Tim Ferriss spiel for like the past like three four months. But I won't miss Jocko podcast on Wednesdays. Tim Ferriss is so good. Like Tools of Titans. You guys listening? Like. You, you, I'm not going to say you need the book, but if you want to succeed, it would be super, super helpful. It it has interviews with like some of the most successful people in the world, artists and, you know, entertainment, billionaires, uh, athletes. Give a few examples of like billionaires and, and successful people. Hmm. Well, Arnold. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger's for sure in there. Um, I don't know. I don't know too many other people that, you know, that, that people know. But there's doctors, there's athletes, there's uh, Olympic uh, trainers, there's all sorts of people. The main ones that stuck out to me that I have yet to listen to, I haven't listened to any of Arnold Schwarzenegger's episodes. But That's also a really good one. Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Foxx. The one that surprised me that I did listen to was Mike Rowe, Dirty Jobs on Discovery Channel. His story and his built up to what Dirty Jobs is now and what came of Dirty Jobs, which was like 50 more shows worldwide, is insane. And now that's why Mark Micro he's just chilling now, he's he's good to go because he has all these shows that were developed because of Dirty Jobs, and so basically any any show on Discovery that you hear Micro narrate, that's his show, that's his creation that that was primed from or per, uh, made out of uh, Dirty Jobs. It's his business. That's, yeah. he's making money off of that. Yeah, I love that story about Micro. I think he has his own podcast actually. Yes, he does. Okay, good. I'm not crazy, so I have listened to it. Um. There's one where he talks about um, having to sell pencils on like the um, the QVC format. I don't think it was QVC specifically, but it was th- that kind of thing. The yeah. the TV sell. Mm-hmm. 
thing. Yeah, that, that was one of his first jobs. Well, yeah, I was gonna say, was that before? That yeah, that was yes. one of his first jobs. That's that's actually part of his biography. He worked for QVC for a long time over the like the midnight, like the uh, what's it called, graveyard shift for QVC. That's one of his stories. That, that's him. That's his biography. I love that pencil story. It's awesome. Could you tell it? Um, I only remember like the certain specific parts about it. Well, say it, and I'll try to help you. Out. Well, about um, you know, when they were basically given the impossible task of selling a freaking pencil like it's just a it's a freaking pencil like everyone has a pencil whatever you know it's like it's not a hard thing to find and he has to sell the shit out of it for like what time limit did they give him like it's like three minutes it was like it was i I thought it was was more than that i thought they said like seven or between seven to ten minutes okay let's say seven to ten i don't know we'll have to get back or it was like or it was like um keep keep trying to sell us the pencil until we say stop I think that's what it was. Okay, it, let's say it's any of those three variables. Let's say it varies over time, so that's fine. But either way, continue, Eddie. So he has to come up with unique and interesting and intriguing ways of selling these uh, these pencils. So he's just like, standard yellow-colored pencil, just like every other pencil is colored yellow, you know, for the majority. And he's like, so you know exactly how to find it. You know, it's not like an odd color, like a black or a white. Like, you're going to see it. It's yellow and a pink eraser. So that color combination, you're going to see it in your desk or whatever. You're going to know immediately that's what I'm looking for. That's the thing I need, and you're going to grab it. So, like, just basically selling it on the color, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because you're going to recognize what it is. Right. And you're not going to waste time looking for it when you recognize it. Anyway. Yep. So with that, and then he gets, like, really intricate talking about, like, you know, like oh, it's writing utensil and like so many things that have been written down of of the utmost importance, like the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution of the United mm-hmm. States of America, mm-hmm. and like a whole bunch of stuff. He's just like he goes off on one of the one pencils. of the ones. Okay, one of the examples that he gave for selling the pencil was like everybody has a pencil, but this one will be yours. Mm. This one will be yours. You, this particular pencil Dang. will be yours, and only you can use it. You say who can use it and who can't use it. But ultimately, it is yours. You have the final say on what, who uses and what this pencil is used for. That yes. sounds super deep yeah, for a pencil. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that, that, but that's, that's where Eddie's going, where that's how deep it got. And that's, what that, that's why that particular part stuck out to the pencil story, which I had forgotten about the pencil story in general. But I remember that piece because he's like, this one's yours. And only you can use it. You can say who uses it. And we're, and what's what it's gonna be used for? You sign it to sign a contract, you know, a twenty million dollar contract. Of course, it's gonna be in pen, but let's just say you're using pencil back in the day. You know, you only have pencils or whatever. Uh, it's important. It's the power of the pencil. It's the power of a writing. That yeah. And then he uh, goes off on the uh, oh, and it's number two, so it's good on scantrons and like mm-hmm. formal tests. Being and able whatever. to sell to multiple markets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he goes from scantrons and school to business uh, sp- business use. You know, and write note taking and whatnot. Smart dude, man. It's so good. Uh, yeah, I I don't know. I I may put what episode it is on the on the show notes, but it's definitely one that. I mean, you won't know until you listen. But micro store is very interesting. Interesting, and he started as a opera opera like singer or something in Baltimore, like that was his thing, and then he moved on to like like actual TV and like that type of uh, showmanship, you know, show work and whatnot, entertainment. Right. Going back to the um, CD Baby guy for a second, mm-hmm. did he start that company before iTunes or was that after iTunes? I don't remember the, the time. Yeah, I mean, I want to say it's after because iTunes has kind of been out for a while. I want to say it was after. But his target was new artists, you know, 
that are trying to make it up not coming. Yeah, not really mainstream. Maybe now because you know a lot of people know about it. They probably put the marketing to it. But well, I I ask because first of all, I guess like for no one or for anyone listening that um you know your life does not revolve around music or you're not trying to make a career out of music. iTunes changed the game forever and ever and ever. Amen. Like Steve Jobs totally wrecked um, the music industry by creating iTunes, right? So when he created iTunes, he basically made it possible for people to just purchase single songs, mm-hmm. right? And you don't have to go to the, to the Walmart or to your record shop or whatever and buy the whole CD just to listen to the one song that you wanted to get, okay? So he made it possible to just purchase the 99 cent song. And then it goes right to your computer, and then from your computer it goes right to your iPod. So because of that, physical CD sales have gone way down, like way, 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 way down mm-hmm. since that creation of iTunes. And now like electronic music is, the, is obviously by far the, the biggest way we consume music. Whether that's streaming or where th- whether that's right. purchasing on iTunes or whatever, that is the way we consume music. Right, because even from there, that's where Spotify came out of. You know, all these other yeah. outlets that came out. He did start it before iTunes. Okay, that was 1998. iTunes was released 2001. Gotcha. Thank you, Mark. That's and I ask that. That's important because um, CD Baby is also uh, a distributor, an online distributor. So if an independent artist like myself wanted to get my music on iTunes and I didn't want to have to deal with the hassle of emailing Apple and going through their whole process and whatever, which takes forever with them, and I wanted to do it immediately within the span of a week or two weeks or a month or whatever, I can do that through CD Baby for a, for a, you know, a little bit of a fee. Right, for the fee. Yeah, you pay the, ba- you pay yeah. the base fee, right? Yeah. So they like pay their subscription fee for, for however they're going to charge it. And then they distribute your stuff on iTunes, and they take care of all that. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to do it. So they're like a, a big middleman in that game. Right. And that, create, that came from a consignment record shop back in 1998, 1997. It's nuts. But that's a, that, to me, is a big part of their business because there are a lot of independent artists out there, way more, by the thousands more, than, um, than you know, artists who are signed or who are big national touring acts, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Right. There's a whole bunch of people trying to do this thing and doing it independently. So they need companies like CD Baby or like for me, I use TuneCore. So um, and it's basically the same thing. The right? concept's the same. Yeah, the concept's the same as far as the uh, the middleman online distribution part of without, it. Without. Uh, OK, without naming prices or anything, what what drew you to TuneCore versus CD Baby? Honestly, it wasn't a pricing thing. That's just what was recommended to me. Okay. I uh, I asked a friend of mine when I was preparing to release the EP. I was like, hey, man, how did you put your stuff on iTunes? Oh, dude, use TuneCore. What's TuneCore? And then... Proceeded. Okay, go cool. Home. Very cool, very cool. I was just wondering. But I have used CD Baby, and my stuff is on CD Baby currently um, because I had to get download cards. So when I ran out of um, the physical copies of my EP, and that was um, two years ago... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Around this time, actually, is when I ran out officially. Pat, Pat Green show, yeah. Right when we opened up for uh, for Pat Green at Fiesta Edinburgh, that's around the time I ran out of those CDs. So I had to get download cards to do that or to to sell at that show because I was out of CDs. Right, TuneCore doesn't do download cards. CD Baby does. So of course I go and I set up with CD Baby, and I put in an order for the download cards, and it shows that they're not going to get in until like after the show. Mm-hmm. Which I'm like, okay, I need it before the show. 
So I call the customer hotline or whatever, the 1-800 number, and I tell the, the lady on the line what's going on, and she's, oh, they'll be in your mailbox in three days. Rad. Nice. Love that. Nice. Really good customer service nice. from CD Baby. That's good. That's yeah. good. That's good to know. Because right there, I, a lot of people won't call and be like, oh, damn, they'll just cancel the order and just like, go go about it. But you called, and that's the main difference. And that goes back to like a generational thing where you won't call. More times than not, you will not call a customer service number nope. to try to get that mitigated. I actually had the same situation with my phone, and I got like I got the, I got the stuff worked out. But it's kind of the same thing as far as calling in and being like, hey, this is my situation. You know, what can we do? Let's. let's I want to make it happen. I need, I need to make it. In your case, I need to make it happen. This needs to happen now before the show. And you called. She helped. Boom. Done. It's crazy how many things are like negotiable. Yeah. Like, I don't know if this is truly on topic, but I've just come to realize that when you make that phone call, you take that little extra step. So many things that can be negotiated that you thought were fixed. Yeah. Yeah. Always. There's actually um, an episode on the Tim Ferriss podcast. It was the very first Tim Ferriss podcast episode I'd ever listened to. Mm-hmm. And it was on the art of negotiation. <laughs> and this guy talks about yeah. negotiating his interest rate on his credit card. And I was like, you can do that? <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you mean you mean it's not based on your credit score? <laughs> right? But oh, like, yeah, that's th- crazy. Like, like you said, things that you think are fixed and you can always negotiate. That's that's the number one rule. You can always negotiate. And um, I haven't tried it yet. I really should have. I kept like joking about it with my parents telling them because um, I have my credit card um, through Wells Fargo. So, you know, Wells Fargo went through the whole fiasco of the um, whatever they were doing. They were, like, creating fake accounts. Fake accounts. Yes. Yeah, whatever they were doing that was, you know, malintent or whatever. It only it only cost the CEO a couple million dollars. No big deal. That's honestly <laughs> nothing. It honestly is nothing, yeah, in that, in that world. Dang. Anyway, so when that was going on, um, that's around the time that I listened to that podcast, and I was like, man, um, I wonder if this is a good time to call them to renegotiate my interest rate. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you talking about that. I'm like, T- ask Brian. I don't know if you ever did, but I'm like, ask if Brian. Brian will be the one to tell you yes or no. It probably would have just to keep you satisfied and and keep you from spreading like bad rumors. Because it's true. Like when it comes to customer service, customer service representatives or anybody that really focuses on on good customer service, they know that that uh, bad reviews or a bad experience will spread even faster than a good one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you probably could have, you had a little buffer. It's the the Yelp effect. Yeah. I remember um, when I was working at uh, City Winery in Nashville as a bar back, and we had a, a staff meeting one time, and the manager was telling us that she was really concerned about a couple of bad reviews we had gotten on Yelp, and... And you know, and and we're there thinking like, okay, well let's let's read it, let's you know, let her continue with her story, and let's see where this goes. And so the reviews on Yelp were just totally over the top, like, you know, they were about things that are not in the control of a server or of the person taking care of the customer, um, you know, firsthand, right? Okay. It was just like a, it was just way out of left field. Like it was just a weird thing to complain about in general, mm-hmm. and just not at all very relevant to a server's right, job. Right, to where it affect like the business as a whole, maybe. Right, but yet these people had a really weird experience or bad experience or whatever, so they decided to leave a Yelp review, which caused the manager to worry. And I remember, like I, like a little elementary school kid, I raised my hand to talk in the meeting. <laughs> and, um, well, and that's that's good on uh, yeah, me, that's good on you. I've I've been on this side where it's like. 
hold on. Like, I need to. F- I need to f- at least finish yeah. the point to let you. At then least you didn't just interrupt. The yeah, interrupt thing. the manager. Right. And then anyway, she calls on me, and I respectfully say like, "Hey, when someone goes online to like leave a Yelp review, it's never for a good reason, though. Like, people only ever go online to Yelp to leave bad reviews. No one goes on there to be like, oh, this place was awesome. You should try it." Like, no one feels the need to say that in public or out loud, you know? Only the bad stuff. Only the negative. You know? So it ties back to, to like you said, right now, the the negative experience will spread faster than the positive one. And in this case, negative feedback is not good. In that case of, like, you know, uh, about a business, you know, for them, that's not good. Now, it's a celebrity or whatever, or, you know, artist, whatever. I think it 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 helps because you get your name gets out. But in this case, where it's gonna affect profit margins and whatnot, yeah, it's gonna definitely. Yeah, oftentimes like managers or 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 the business owners will go on Yelp and like reply to those bad reviews and say, "Hey, come back in for mm-hmm. like a free appetizer." They try to make up for the experience, and that's good on them, and that's good on you know City Winery, like the manager, whoever that was, to do that because they should be doing that. No, absolutely. A lot of people don't, or in general, when people. I'm talking about managers of companies or uh, divisions or branches or whatever. Uh, they won't do that because it's not their fault, and it's somebody else's fault, and that's not the way it works. Nope. At, from what I'm learning, that's not the way it works. And yeah, so that's good on your manager to do that. It's good on you to, hey, you know, you have something to say. Okay, you you you, you waited, you waited for the right moment. You said it. You know, you move forward. Good. Man, I miss working for those people. They were awesome to work you for. You told me, yeah, you told me a couple of your manager were, like, really awesome. That, that's good to hear because I feel like, like again, the only the negative gets spoken about. It's like, oh, this, oh, that, and it's all bad, bad, bad. It's like, well, let, let, let's let's get some positive feedback in here. Let's, let's need all the stuff that goes unnoticed, what is happening? What is that? What is that thing going unnoticed? I want to know. Yeah. You listeners, I want to know. Let me know. It's always good to have good managers, good leaders, you know. Yeah. But even then, like, um, I had one really sour experience with one of my managers that, um, for whatever, okay, so in the in the restaurant, uh, in the service industry, if you will, I- at least in my experience, the way it usually went was that you'd show up to work um, for, the, for the dinner shift, right? So this is after lunch. You show up, and it's, you know, 4 o'clock or 3.30 or whatever. You get there, you do all your prep work, you're, um, you know, making um you know utensil rolls or whatever mm-hmm. setting the tables etc cetera, etc cetera, doing all your pre-shift stuff right and then everyone gets together and they have a family meal which is like something that's prepared by the chefs and you all eat together sit down and then the uh you know the manager for the night goes over what the special is or you know what to try to push tonight or whatever or we're trying to push this bottle of wine today or this bottle or this food or that food whatever mm-hmm. you know you're going over what the mission is right for right? the day right 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 absolutely and, um, you know, so you're there and you get family meal. So and then after that, you go back to work and and, you know, you proceed until the night's through. Well, for whatever reason, on a on this particular night, I was not able to have my family meal. I think my uh, my pre-shift duties as a barback probably were a lot, a lot more demanding than a server or even a bartender. Kay. Like I had to go set up all the bars. Right. Like uh, certain things, like taking ice and uh, making sure there was enough glassware, enough uh, liquor, um, you know, beer, wine, et cetera, et cetera. And the bartender's job mostly was just to kind of make sure the bar is clean, you know, make sure the area looks okay, looks presentable, et cetera, et cetera. 
set up the drawer and you know do that stuff. So mine was a little more physically demanding, right? Because I had to do that for every bar in the building, mm -hmm. which was three bars. That could be a lot really quick. Yeah. So for whatever reason, um, my time was uh, you know a, a little bit more demanding that day. I think you know like. One bar was just uh, really bad out of shape, so I really had to spend some extra, you know, some extra minutes, like cleaning that up or, or taking some right. more, um, some more alcohol to it or whatever. So I missed out on family meal. Is the point okay? So uh, they had ordered pizza um, for for people who had missed family meal, and so it was behind the concierge's desk. So when I had a minute, finally, um, like you know, everything was running smooth, the night's going, the bar kind of got past its first rush. So it's kind of settled down. I've got five minutes to myself for a little bit for whatever I need to do. So I'm going to go to the concierge's desk and get some pizza and go sneak away and eat it really quick. So I go to do that. I grab a couple slices, put it on a napkin, and I walk to a place that I know only employees are allowed, you know. And um, as I'm, like, getting the pizza and then, like, I barely started walking to, a, to like, a secluded place, right? And then um, one of the managers for that night was like, just screamed at me right away, like in front of everyone, in front of the whole restaurant, in front of the customers. Mm. Like she just goes, Eddie, and just, just yells at me from across the room. Right. And of course, I just stop in my tracks. And, um, <laughs> and she just like, you know, rushes over to me and she gets in my face and she's like, like, what are you doing? Like, that's disgusting. Like, everyone sees you like carrying that pizza. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, you know, <laughs> like... And I was literally about to walk through the door to the secluded place, like away from the customers. And um, and I was telling her, I was like, no, like I just I just got it right now. Like I was going to go eat this in seclusion because I didn't get to get family meal. And she was just like not having it. She was so pissed. And uh, like I'd already like had it up to here with this manager. Like there had already been some other underlying issues that. Okay that I kind of let slide. Mm -hmm. So that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me. Mm -hmm. And I told another manager what had happened, and then he radioed the head honcho, uh, you know, the GM of the place. Yeah, yeah. And then um, and he told her what happened, and then, like, right after that, he tells me, like, hey, general manager wants to see you upstairs. And he's like, you're being truthful about your story, right? And I was like, like no, nah, like, why would I lie to you, man? Like, yeah, that's what happened. Right. And he's like, yeah, so go upstairs and tell her what happened. And then so I went upstairs, explained it exactly how I explained it to, um, you know, to my other manager, and then it was immediately taken care of, like yeah. the next day. Yeah. And like and then like I was like you know like the the manager that got after me like apologized to me and all that and and whatever and I guess like she was having a bad day this is what she was saying and she kind of you know was getting a little emotional too quick and, right. and you know like the stuff was you know, building up inside of her mm -hmm. that, that didn't have to do with work. So, I mean, we're all human. Shit happens. That's right. cool. I understand that. Right. No bad blood. But um, I got to stop referencing Taylor Swift songs. It's <laughs> like the second time I've said bad blood. But um, anyways, yeah, so it was all taken care of very effectively. So poor management meets really good management, and then take that combine the you know into that situation into that circumstance mm -hmm. and then like even that manager that that kind of blew up at me became a lot better of a manager after that so i was like i, I would hope that kind of learned or not learned taught her mm -hmm. how to become a better uh, you know a better manager or a better leader or a more deta detached one anyway right right okay so immediately after she called you out in front of everybody how did that affect your morale immediately before you knew how close you were how did it affect your morale how did it affect how you felt even though maybe you weren't in the wrong, but she called you out. She's still your manager. You still should listen to her. How did that affect how you felt? 
Well, at this point, there had already been, like I said, some some other things that had happened with that manager. Okay. So I mean, I'm the kind of person like in that situation, like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna take your shit if I've been taking it for too long. Okay. So I mean, when she called me out over that, I was just kind of like, "You're ridiculous. Fuck you. Fuck off. I'm gonna eat this pizza." Mm. So uh, I was just kind of like, "Whatever," mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And I knew also, I guess I have to say, like she wasn't that far above me. Managerial wise, okay. she wasn't a high up manager. She was very low, you know, like a team lead. Yeah. Okay. So I knew that I could go to a higher up and and talk about, what's up. you know, what happened and and that it would be taken care of. I had trust that it would be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So I didn't immediately feel like I was in the wrong. Like I, I was already confident that I knew I was doing nothing wrong. Okay. And I'd actually been told the night before to go back and get pizza when I had some time and then and go off somewhere and eat. Like I'd already been given permission. Right. Right. Okay. Were you able to tell her that? Like, hey, I got permission. She didn't let me talk. Okay. <laughs> she, like, you know, just just came right up to me and just didn't even give me a second. Mm-hmm. And, and, of course, like, and, and, and it ended with me pretty much just walking off into the secluded area to finish eating my pizza. Because I was like, I'm just not going to have it with you. Like, In it's tears. always like this. <laughs> so, like, forget it. I'm just going to go tell someone higher up what happened, and that's it. Was it was it worse that she was so quick to like get on your case about it, or that she did it in front of everybody? It was worse that she did it in front of everyone. That I mean, there is some embarrassment with that, right? When you get yelled at in front of customers, like, are you serious? Come yeah. on, like that's no way to to lead. And your coworkers too. Yeah, and that was a bad place to put the pizza if she didn't want you, you know, to have pizza or or have the pe- get the pizza in front of everybody. Yeah. But I, I guess to be fair, I don't think she was in charge of the of the placement of the pizza. Well, she should have been if she was so critical about it. <laughs> I guess so. A lot of people, um, or at least a lot of managers that were there when I was there, are not there anymore. And I think that has to deal with a higher up situation. I think a lot of. Uh, you know, there's like this hierarchy of of managers. You know, like you have like your GM, and then you have like your three floor managers, and then like your bar manager, and then you know person that's in charge of this, in charge of that, and whatever. And there's just like this weird hierarchy with all that, and everyone just kind of wanted the next step. Like every manager that was not the GM was kind of dissatisfied with the managerial position they were at, and they wanted the they next wanted level. Them. Okay. You know, because I guess a lot of these people had obviously spent a lot of years working service industry jobs starting from waiting or barbacking or bartending and then working their way up, way up right. you know so they just naturally wanted that next step right. and they weren't getting it there mm-hmm. so i think a lot of people got really dissatisfied and and quit and left well cuz even well city wineries small it's not like it's it's not a huge chain thing there's only like what five in the united states or four or something less right now i think the fifth one is being built and okay I could, I could be wrong right because i remember you i remember you mentioned that i just i don't know the timeline i don't know any details on the city winery i just knew that there's not a lot it's not a freaking mcdonald's or even roadhouse or you know it's not like that you know it's it's very sm- you know there's only a few so to work in a company and know that there's only so few locations but yet want you know, to be the GM of every single city winery, it's almost impossible. It's only good for your resume, so you can go into an actual company that allows you to be that GM. Well, I, I don't think any of those um, lower tier managers wanted to be the GM necessarily, but so one of the managers wanted to be bar manager. Okay. Okay. And he wasn't getting that job, and the dude who was bar manager was fucking terrible at it. Like he um, he got fired because he was you know he was sexually harassing employees. Mm. 
mm-hmm. or, or you know, or saying um, inappropriate shit. Maybe not like physically sexually harassing, right, right, but, like, but ver- verbal still, sexual harassment. Still, yeah, still, right? Now in today's day, it's the same thing. Yeah, creating a hostile environment. Yes, and uh, it, it was like so bad to the point where um, where we had two bartenders leave because of that. So um, so he got fired like pretty easily. And then for a long time, um, I was on the bar staff, right? I was a bar back. So for a long time, we did not have a bar manager. And uh, my problem as the bar back there around that time when that was going on was that we needed more glasses. I did not have enough wine glasses in circulation. And it was a constant problem for me. Not um, There's three bars, sometimes four, um, if we set up an extra one in the venues. Um, you know, And every one of them needed a certain amount of wine glasses. And it got to the point where one of the bars would have to be sacrificed with the amount of wine glasses they had, and they would always be short mm. until they got busier, until I had to make the judgment call that they needed more glasses than the other bars. Mm. But it started off as that we had enough glasses for each bar. We had enough glasses in circulation. And then it it got so bad to the point where one bar just didn't have any glasses, any wine glasses, white or red. Right. Like, I, was, I was saying there's know? two different kinds. I know you mentioned that. Yeah. Uh, for people who are wine... wine t- Drinkers, connoisseurs. They, yeah, they they know that there's two different types. Uh, we don't need to go into details, but continue. Yeah, so it was it got bad enough to the point where one bar was completely out of white wine and red wine glasses, completely. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, three bars, only two out of three were fully stocked with wine glasses. Mm. That's how bad it got, and we didn't have a bar manager forever. And the manager that really wanted to be promoted to bar manager was not getting promoted to bar manager, so of course he left. Yeah, and and you know, and then he went to bartender, bar manage somewhere else. Right, right, right. You know, mm. he looks like Sean McConnell, by the way. This <laughs> bar manager <laughs> that nice. I'm thinking of, he he looks exactly like Sean McConnell. Very nice. Speaking of Sean McConnell, um, going to your lessons, the lessons about the female and the male, like both of them that you had that you've been teaching, or you, one of them you had taught, and the other one, you know, you've been uh, wanting to, you know, coach up to, you know, reach his full potential. Yeah, uh, you're talking about the one with the uh, the ego problems. Yeah, all that stuff, all of that. I mean, um, the guy in his older twenties. It's it's very frustrating when someone's ego gets in the way of something, and so he's just constantly trying to deflect the situation back onto me. So instead of like maybe doing a, an exercise or a technique or you know doing something that I'm asking him to do. Um, you know, it, instead of doing that, he kind of deflects it, and then it's like, it's like, well, you're playing the wrong chord over this song. It's like, dude, I don't. I blatantly told him, like, I don't care that I'm playing the wrong chord. Like, I I want you to execute this technique properly. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that's what I care about. But um, his ego is just very much in the way of his of his learning, and I hope he realizes that. And I mean, it's not like an uncommon thing in voice lessons for that to, to happen. I mean, I'm even guilty of deflecting sometimes. Not onto my voice teacher, though. Never onto my voice teacher. Like, I, I never deflect the problem back onto him or her or whatever, you know? Like, I always deflect it onto, like, an inanimate object. <laughs> like, <laughs> like uh, you know, voice teacher trying to get me to, to do something and then I don't want to do it. And I'm like, uh, hey, where'd you get that that uh, that organic milk? Where'd you get that? <laughs> it's chocolate? Dark chocolate? I don't like dark chocolate. You like dark <laughs> chocolate? And then by by the end of the CD, you're like, okay, to be quiet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were trying to warm up. But anyway, this guy was like deflecting stuff back onto me, and I just like wasn't having it. Hmm. So he was trying to sing in uh, 
an Andrea Bocelli tune, and Andrea Bocelli, um, as we've now come to coin this term, is papra. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. Now, now that I remember this, I'm I'm pretty upset. I didn't I didn't stumble upon this idea <laughs> live on this episode. <laughs> oh man, uh, for the for everyone listening, <laughs> Brian had previously coined the term papra. Before so this episode. So we're using it now. Or th- <laughs> these, these two gentlemen are using it now. So a- Andrea Bocelli, um, you know, he sings that, that one song that, like, comes out in Step Brothers that, that Will Ferrell's character sings at the end, and it's freaking hilarious. But anyway, that's Andrea Bocelli. And so he kind of has a very unique style where he, m- where he mixes an operatic um, classical sound and technique to his singing, and he mixes that with commercial-sounding orchestral arrangements, if you will. Like, some of his stuff even has, like, drum beats to it, like drum loops. It's very interesting. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, so this student of mine, um, he's trying to learn an Andrea Bocelli tune, and I I basically said, yeah, like, you know, we tried it, and I was like, okay, well, this is more of a classical technique, and I'm not a classical teacher. I was like, I can teach you the classical technique, but, I mean... The the place I teach at we're a you know commercial music place we teach rock pop country, top forty styles you know basically like contemporary styles okay. Right. And what I was trying to get him to do was learn the correct technique, which is to mix. Okay, so you're mixing your chest voice and your head voice to get a healthy, naturally well resonating and projecting sound. Okay, it's like what it, it's the healthy best way to sing. Okay, and it, it's the it's the it's the correct technique for like the ma- majority of things you hear on the radio. Okay, so I'm trying to get him to learn this technique. I'm like, eh, you're not really gonna learn it from Andrea Bocelli. Let's listen to a Sean McConnell song because Sean McConnell's a beast. And so, right. uh, so I assign him Holy Days, and, um, and you know, like I'm like like trying to get him to like learn this technique and whatnot and. He's like he's really stuck on the Andrea Bocelli um, because he thinks he's hitting this this high note <laughs> this you know high tenor C which is like a like heavenly note you know yeah, for a, for a tenor range it's just insanely high. What does that sound like, Eddie? I'm not gonna do it because I'm a baritone. <laughs> I have hit it like I've hit it, I've hit it before, but I've yeah. never hit it like in a nice sounding way. In live live situation. Or live, I would never ever <laughs> dare try that note live. Anyways, this guy is trying to hit this high note, and he's getting it, but he's not getting it the same way that Andrea Bocelli gets it. Okay, so a- Andrea Bocelli gets it with you know with his full voice, with his chest voice, with his range. Okay, it's not like in your head voice. And um, and for anyone listening that doesn't know the difference between your head voice and your chest voice, your head voice is the really light part, like this, like Mickey Mouse. Like something like that, right? And then your chest voice is your natural speaking voice, the one that projects the loudest, the clearest, the most, right? Okay. So your head voice has a bigger range to it, okay? But in your head voice, it's not hard to hit high notes because that's where those notes live. Like that's that's where they pay rent, man. Okay. <laughs> so anyway, this guy was trying to hit this Andrea Bocelli high tenor C, but he's hitting it in his head voice. Like it's 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 of course it's easy there. Like a lot of people with you know, j- just a little bit of vocal training, like within one or two lessons, can hit that note in their head voice. It's not, not a not a huge deal. Now it's a huge deal to hit it the way Andrea Bocelli hits it in his full-on 
chest and kind of sort of mixed voice, okay? But anyway, in this student's mind, he's thinking like, oh, I'm hitting the hell out of this note. <laughs> and I'm just kind of over here like, you're kind of not. But, um, and so I'm explaining to him why he's not, what the difference is, and he's just not having it. It's not getting through his skull. So I, I hope I wasn't too right. mean in, in putting it this way, but this is the way I ended up putting it to him. I told him, so imagine that this high note that you're hitting, that Andrea Bocelli's hitting, is a baseball. And you're the batter in a baseball game, and you're trying to hit that baseball. You're trying to hit that note. So you go up to the plate, and Andrea Bocelli is hitting like against Nolan Ryan's 99-mile-an-hour fastball. Whatever, right? He's like hitting the hardest pitch in the world, and he's hitting it out of the park, home run, grand slam, whatever. That's how Andrea Bocelli's hitting that note. The way you're hitting the note is if you took it and you put the baseball on a tee and swung at it. Mm-hmm. It's like you're, you're hitting it in a very dumbed down, well, not dumbed down, that's a terrible way to put it, but like you're hitting it in an easier way, right, right. in a more attainable way that an average person can do, mm-hmm. right? And I told him, I was like, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, his range is much higher than your range. Like, Andrea Bocelli is obviously a tenor, which is a guy that has a higher um, vocal range. Yeah, think okay. of uh, Vince Gill. There Vince, you go. Vince Gill, yeah. you know, and, uh, this guy, Andrea Bocelli. Uh, I guess Sean McConnell, he mixes in there. Huh? Yes. Okay. Yeah, Sean McConnell would definitely be a tenor. And uh, anyway, so most males end up being basses or baritones. There's not very many tenors. Most will end up... Uh, being male singers with, uh, with lower ranges, okay? So um, I was basically told him, I was like, that note is attainable for you, but not as attainable as it is for Andrea Bocelli. But whichever way I put it to this guy, whether I was trying to have him work on the mix technique or just have him hit notes in the right manner or in the right register, it just wasn't registering to him. Right. Okay? And he was just very... Very self-absorbed and just very cocky and, I mean, yeah. You know, it's, it's very frustrating when you're trying to teach someone who will not let you teach them. Right, right. Uh, it's very interesting. Uh, one thing I'm going to bring up, uh, bringing up Brian Stan again, who was on Jocko Podcast, is uh, JV leadership, which is one of the concepts that uh, Brian brings up, that you think you have to be loved in order to be an effective leader. In your case, I think you told him because, like you say, he's he's an older guy, so you know he should be able to take criticism a little better. So with that, you know, you you're trying to get him to do his best to to be a good singer. That's your job. That's his, that's that's what he wants, right? So the example that Brian Stan brings up is that uh, let's say you're a manager and you have a team under you, and yet your manager says, okay, I need your team to be at a meeting after work and it's run thirty thirty minutes to an hour. So then you go back to your team and say, hey, guys, so-and-so wants us to go have a meeting. I don't think we should do it. I don't see a point of it, but we're, let's just go do it and get done with. Versus, okay, guys, our GM needs us there. This is an important meeting. There's going to be some important information given to us so that we can do our jobs better or so we can make sales or whatever the mission would be for that particular day. So uh, that's something that Brian Stan would call JV leadership where you know you think you have to be loved. Uh, another example he gave was uh, where he had to fire a lieutenant while being while in Iraq. Uh, this uh, lieutenant, he was a great guy, and and Brian let him know too. He's like, hey, you're a great 
person. You're a great human being. And, you know, whatever job you go and do after this, you're going to do very good. at. It. You're going to be very good at it. And that's awesome. But for where we're at now, this point, you know, and I think he was saying that they're going to go on like several missions coming up. So, you know, you're in war. That's life or death. It's not just a personal living, you know, that, that's at risk, you know, your personal finances and whatnot. So this is very much, a this is a deeper situation. You know, it's amplified and intensified as uh, Jocko puts it. But anyways, <clears throat> uh, just that, you know, you're a good guy, but you know, you're, you're not going to, you're not ready yet. You're, you're, you're not well equipped to do this job. And for you, in your case, going back to the singing, you know, like you want him to do that. You want, you know, you're not there to necessarily be his friend, but coach him up so that he's able to accomplish, you know, his goals. And that goes back to like paying for like, you know, paying for the lesson, paying for the tuition and, you know, wanting to get, he should be wanting to get better. So I do agree with you on your approach to that. Yeah. Now that you're, you're saying all that, it makes me think about, is it really his ego or is it really just, um, or maybe like not his direct ego, you know, like when you think of ego, you think of someone's pride right, right. in the way of things. Maybe, even maybe it's not his pride so much as that he was just trying to save the embarrassment or spare hmm. himself hmm. the embarrassment. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So a different form of ego, if you will. Right, right. Just not necessarily a proudful one, but one that's trying to spare his ego from getting hurt. His defense mechanism yeah, his, for his, his ego. That's a good. That's a good way to put it. Defense defense mechanism is a good one. Uh, do you think now? This is something I thought. You know, since last time we talked, uh, would there be a way to simplify even more what you're trying to tell him? And an example I'm going to give you is: so me and my cousin were sh going to play basketball at the park here by my house. And we were shooting, and you know, uh, he's 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 getting better as we as we as we continue to go play. But what I figured out was that I needed to simp simplify more. That's what I needed to do so that he, because what happens like let's say he's shooting a three point and he misses like all of them. Let's just say that use that as, as an example. Well, then he wants to play horse and he wants to kick my ass. Okay, cool. Let's do that. So I'm taking easier shots, but now he's making those shots. And we're talking like, you know, you see like the, I guess, free throw line. Okay, I'm, t I'm talking in front of the free throw line. Just basically, as basic, just the basics. I mean, we're talking like the bare foundation of whatever the goal is accomplished. So do you think you could find a way to do that moving forward to do to eventually get to that point to where he's like, okay, I, I do get, I do, uh, or he now maybe now he's fulfilling that technique requirement that you want him to do, which he's capable. I mean, he should be capable of. I don't know. That's uh, I'm glad you brought that up because now it, it's making me think about it. Mm -hmm. I don't know, um, off the top of my head, right. if I can get him to execute this technique in a simplified way, because mm -hmm. I make him execute the technique on a very basic part of his range. A range that's not high, mm -hmm. you know, just something that's right in the middle, mm -hmm. and I just have him practice it over it. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. like I said, it's just something that I that I thought about the other day as I was I was taking notes and whatnot of of my situation, and I I connect, I did connect to you. I'm like, okay, he's he's pushing off now. How can we flank that? And how can I think of how to tell you, Eddie, how to you know maybe simplify even more? Fine, maybe it's simplified, but is there a way to you know, one note at a time, or s I don't know. I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm not. I'm not a teacher. I'm just talking about the simplified flanking to to where you get him ten steps later, and now he's at the step that he should be at. Because remember, you're while you're teaching, uh, you also have a ex extensive training on the subject. 
So maybe, maybe, in theory, there's a way to simplify even that and go a step further into, you know, uh, being able to get him to fulfill the technique. Maybe. I don't know. The, the fact that he's not younger, like most of my students are, mm-hmm. most of my students fall between the, like, um, between, like, 7 and 12, if you will. Okay. Between that age, ra- age range. So he's very much in his older 20s. And, I mean, he's a full-on adult. Right, I mean, right, right. So I don't feel the need to flank as much with him mm-hmm. as I would with a younger student. Right, right. But if he's not doing what you're asking. My initial reaction to that is, well, he's paying for it. He's old enough. He is an adult, should know how to behave, should be aware of what he's, you know, doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or, um, you know, that she should be aware that he's only holding himself back by being either egotistical or right. trying to spare himself um, from doing some actual work, you know? Right. Now, but at the same time, okay, go ahead. sorry, uh, at, this, at the same time, I guess there should be some effort on my end to at least make it known, just in case he doesn't realize it, to, to make it known that what he's doing is not beneficial to to him learning how to how to sing properly. Mm-hmm. You know? I'm gonna take it just just one step further in whatever his situation is at home. He's an adult. We all that's established, but the way he's been given direction up until now may have been too forceful or something. I'm th- I'm just bringing this up because I go back to Wild at Heart, John Eldridge, and and him that he's saying he's. But if his ego's still that big at 29, which we I mean we probably know a lot of people are their egos are that big at 29 and beyond, but that goes back to their upbringing. Yeah. So to being able to coach him and simplify just a little more to where maybe. You're you have him within three steps. Now you're gonna have to go eight steps deeper before he gets to even that first step of that three step series that you have for him. Yeah, you're not wrong. It, uh, and like I said, this is just something I thought of after because we've already had the conversation. But uh, just something I thought of. I'm like, man, I, I do want to let Eddie know, and I want this to be known because it's like, okay, we always talk about oh, everybody's entitled to their opinion. Okay, well, with that, everybody has a different upbringing for the most part. Now there's many individual factors that are the same i.e. uh divorced versus married married parents that's one that's one thing but then you can tell you can tell that into okay what about his mom what about his dad okay how are they raised and how are they raising now the child so depending on where he's from the way he was brought up to me that also has a psychological effect on his rebuttal to you and him saying no, like I and I, I do like the way you brought up uh, him being like maybe you know trying to, de- uh, what was the word you used to like basically deflect? Deflect. There you go. That's the word. Deflect. You know his his actual pride being hurt. You know, to me, I see that a lot, kind of in students sometimes, uh, where they kind of do that. But to me, the first thing I think about is okay, what are they going? What's going on at home? In this, in your student's case, okay, he's already an older. He's an adult. He's older than me. He's older than you. He's older than us in this room. Okay, now why is he deflecting all this stuff? You know, like okay, how how can I how can I beat that deflection? Yeah, yeah. that would be the next step. But I, I guess me defeating that deflection would be to call it out. Right, like right, right. Up front. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I haven't I haven't gone beyond that because like you you told him you know you told him hey I need you to do this but is there a way to get that technique done in a different way or is there more steps that you can add to get to that ultimate one step? 
You don't also, have to. You don't have to answer. It's just something I'm, I'm just bringing up to ponder on uh, that you can think about. Because, like I said, we're we're, we're here to, to discuss all these uh, different tools that we've all learned uh, through living. That's why we're moving with life. But uh, uh, what are you gonna say, Brian? No, I think at some point it's not even up to like Eddie, maybe. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this guy's older, not to like generalize, but I feel like most of the time older people are just more set in their ways and they're a little mm-hmm. more stubborn about mm-hmm. things. So also that uh you know his student is older than him yeah. like he might just be not as uh he may not value the lesson as much mm-hmm. or you know right right and right. at some point it's not so much as like what what else can eddie do or, or what is he doing wrong or, or how else can he attack the situation it's more of like how can this student um interpret the the, the lesson better like it's not right. you know it, it's it's kind of like like that I saw it in a, like a, a comic strip, like a little newspaper cartoon type of deal, mm-hmm. where like you know back in the fifties, if the student came home with a bad grade, the parents got after the student. Right. And nowadays, they're the parents are you know fighting the teacher because right. the student got a bad grade. So right. maybe it's not so much of what else can the teacher do in this scenario. Right. But right. How right. is the student absorbing the lesson, or how you know? Absolutely. Uh, what can the student do? Right. What can the student do? And I don't disagree. I am sitting in this room to ensure that Eddie's doing the max that he can do. After that, then that that's that's where that, that's where that that's where that argument will stop or that discussion will stop. Because my what I want to do is I want to ensure Eddie's success. I want to ensure your success, Brian. I want to ensure our success. You know, uh, in all our avenues that we take uh, as we're you know living and choosing careers and whatnot. Uh, but. So that's my only thing, but I don't disagree where it, it t- comes to students, where that comes to the parents, you know. Uh, actually, one thing that I'm involved in now with uh, church, with my cousin, uh, the, I guess the head person of the organization that my cousin's a part of now, uh, she was talking about, you know, the parents being more uh, a part of the child's life spiritually, you know. Okay. And... And with that, I, I don't disagree because it starts with the parents. The kids should be listening to their parents, and that you know that falls into the you know that falls into the parents. Ultimately, it goes to the parents, right? So um, that's all. That's all I mean is that it there's there's ties to many different things. At some point, it becomes the students, and now if he want if he doesn't want to continue, then okay, that that'd be his choice. But at least if they can get him to that last point, you know that last little bit, like come on, like come on, you know, guy, like come on. You can you can do this. I know you can. Let's just let's work on this. You know, as long as that has been done, then Eddie's job is done. But until that point is fu- until that is fulfilled, then I f- it goes up to that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't want to blab too much. Definitely. But I feel like it just goes up to that point. I just want I just want to make sure that we're doing that because I know we want to be better human beings, and this is a part of it for us individually, for others as human beings. Now, if we're giving our all, if we're doing everything we can that we know it absolutely can now. Something pops up in your head, in our head, that oh, what if I did this? Well, then do that, and at least try it out, and then we can move. And then, okay, it didn't work. It flopped. Whatever this, whatever the outcome is, maybe it worked. Then okay, then we can move forward. Or if it didn't work, okay, at least we know. We, there's no what ifs. There's no doubt, and that goes into like a whole other thing that we can talk about as well. Yeah, I've got to go into something you said just now about. You're basically talking about how we're, all three of us here in this room are very conscious about trying to be better human beings Mm -hmm. i think what scares me is going to go off like on a deep end here Mm -hmm. but i think one of the things that scares me the most about the world we live in are uh, the people who are not constantly or at least sometimes 
thinking about that. Absolutely. About being better human beings. I know a ton. Yeah. Do you think the people that are not trying to be better human beings, that they still get to, let's say, like powerful positions? They're not necessarily, you know, the best human beings. And, you know, no judgment here, but just just to for the for the sake of this scenario they're not the best human beings and they're not trying to actively be the best human beings but they still rise to a you know a position where they oversee other people and uh, and you know important responsibilities within right a company mm-hmm. do uh, you think that people who aren't trying to be human beings get there or do they fall through the cracks and never achieve those type of positions oh no i absolutely think they achieve those positions uh, what my answer is now is that me as a subordinate is working up the chain of command. The same way I'd work down, now I'm I'm flanking right. When I'm going down the chain of command, I'm working my, with my subordinates and trying to do this on the right side. When I'm going, when I'm uh, working up the chain of command, uh, I'm going left. I'm just using this as an example, like going left side, right. So with that, one thing that I've learned is developing relationships. So you find how you can get on the good side of your owners or your owners. Sorry, your managers. You get on the good side of your manager. You you but on the good side as authentically though. Not like not on the good side with an with an agenda. You yeah. get on the good side uh so that cuz you know like okay, this guy he's not the best manager. You know that. That's established. This person is not a good manager. It's like okay, what can I do and to to mitigate that so I won't have a hard day. Like because oh because you're gonna go home like oh like I had such a bad day. My manager made me do this or or oh man I did like he he doesn't like me so so I so you know that's why he's giving me all this hard work versus okay I'm gonna do all this work, develop a relationship and more than likely than not I think that his boss, their boss, will see your work and then you end up equal you know you you achieve the same seat as he is, and then you eventually sur- surpass him. You will surpass him. He'll only get us sur- to a certain level because they'll see through that transparency. They'll see through that, I think. But my answer to what you're saying as far as, like, those, I don't believe they fall through the cracks. I believe there's a lot of bad managers. Out there. Like, it goes back to management. I believe they don't. I believe they make it there because up to a certain point, their managers are like, okay, this guy, he wants something. He's not, you know, maybe he's not, they don't say, they don't say attached, but, you know, he's after something, and we, we want that. Okay, cool. So they, I do not believe they fall through the cracks. I believe they're all over the world. And me as a subordinate, what I'm going to try to do is develop my relationship uh, as best as I can because I want to be a good human too as a subordinate. So why am I going to be a bad person to this one guy because he's an asshole? I'm not yeah. going to do that. So that that's my answer. I don't know, Eddie, if you have something to that, uh, if you want to add something. I don't know. I mean, the obvious thing that sticks out to me is – is our p- current president of the United States, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, but also, with with that being said, it goes back to what you had brought up. Um, if you could read it again about JV leadership. Yeah, JV leadership. You think you have to be loved to be an effective leader. Yeah, and I think that is the... I, I think the current president of the United States, Donald Trump, is not at all concerned with how people view him. Or maybe he is because he's always like, talking on Twitter about how much people hate him. So <laughs> right, right, <laughs> maybe right. he is concerned about it. But 
I guess regardless, he's still doing what he thinks is the best direction for the country. Right. Right. Regardless of who's making fun of him on SNL or who's mm-hmm. calling him out, um, you know, at Hamilton in Chicago or right. whatever, you know. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I do have something to say to to Donald Trump. Now, I had this situation happen last Monday when I went to the this church meeting that I was at. Uh, they uh, jo- Donald Trump came up, you know, came up in the conversation, and I said, okay. And I didn't I didn't go this deep because, I mean, I I need more time than just five minutes of me blabbing and you know this other. Just, they're gonna see me as this, just this kid that oh he's blabbing and you know whatever. Fine, I'm not gonna deal with it. I'll say it here on the podcast. Um, don't you think if you develop your relationship and gotten his good side, you have more influence on him than just bashing him on social media and not getting really anything out of it? Yeah, that's my that's my answer. I'm not saying I'm I'm not for him. I'm not against him. But I know if I was in that situation, I know what I would do now, even as a twenty-five-year-old millennial. Yeah, but you you'd have to get on his good side to influence your opinion into his opinion. If if you wanted to get done least, what you. At feel least. like you need now, to get done. I feel like your personal agenda should revolve around hum- humanity and humility. But even then, you know, you need to get to that point. But like I said, you should use, sh- like I said in the beginning of the, I think this, I don't know if it was the second podcast or first one, but we're, you know, this podcast is not superficial. Don't be superficial. If you are, you that's where you fall through the cracks. You only get to, you only get to a certain level and you'll stop. Versus if you are real. In the sense of you're being truth, truthful to yourself and those around you, then you will not fall through the crack. You'll you'll move up, you'll you'll cover up those cracks and you'll seal them up with cement and nothing will get through. That's what I think. So, what does it cost somebody to get on Donald Trump's good side? Oh, Jesus, I wish I could find out. I I shit you not. I wish I could find out because I would damn. I would I would try. Like, do you do you end up? Losing some of your beliefs and and uh, you know, do you, do you end up giving way to to some of the things he's been saying, even though they go against you? Like right. What does it take to get on his good side? Right. Right. Absolutely. No. I I I I wonder because I want I I'd be daring to try. I really would. And and I know what I'm trying. What I try to do now is I do one thing at a time, and I won't leave that one thing. Like if I meet someone new, I'll do that one thing over and over till I see that it's gone through. And then I want to the second thing, but I won't do even three things at one time. Just one, just one thing. And this is not probably not the greatest example, but when I'm at the gym, and I say see you tomorrow, I say see you tomorrow every single day, even if it's Saturday, even if it's Friday, and I know that I know that that person's not gonna come work out on Saturday. I say see you tomorrow, and I repeat that, repeat that, repeat that. And then eventually, like, oh, I thought about coming yesterday, or even Thursdays, be like, ah, eh, Fridays, I'm gonna take a day off. That's what a lot of people say. Fine. That's their choice. I'm, I'm okay with it. It's not. It doesn't affect me. But they're like, oh, I thought about coming yesterday, but I got busy. Okay, but at least thought about it. Eventually, I hope that they would eventually walk in on a Friday. They'd walk in on a Saturday morning and get their ass up at 10, 10.30 in the morning. It's not, like they're, it's not like it's late. You know, we used to open at 8, like 8 to noon or whatever. And now we move the, sh- we move the time so that people go. And yet, <laughs> I had, an ex- had some excuses yesterday. We're like, oh, I, I don't wake up early. It's 10 o'clock. I'm sorry. I... I, I'm not saying get up at 4. I'm not saying get up at 8. We open at 10. You can still get breakfast at 7, let your food go down, and go out for a workout for 30 minutes. So that, uh, going back to Donald Trump, let, let's go back. I would just say I would be daring to try because I feel like I have at least a plan 
that I would attempt to try. Now, if it don't work, it don't work. Okay. But I have multiple ways to flank in my head now that I would use. So it's not about being effective immediately. It's about being effective, period. That's my perspective. Perspective. I know we can go into like patience and different things that we've mm-hmm. talked about before. Um, I have a m- very large allotted amount of patience. And so bring up Donald Trump and our president of the United States, fine. He is still our president. And in the case of management and leadership, he is still the manager. Now, maybe he's a bad leader. Well, that's where I'm going to work up the chain of command and try to be as effective and also, but still real as possible. Now, going against Belize, man, that'd be very hard for me because I, I don't know if I'd want to, but I know that I try. To, I would try to find what he believed in, use those against him for the better of like the outcome of like the United States of America. That's what I would try to do. That's one of the things. That's maybe one of the variables that I would mitigate. I would try to find out. I'd want to find out, and then I'd go that route, and then go from there. Speaking of, like, for the benefit of the U.S., yeah, I read a super interesting article this morning that said that many scientists were stuck in one of these countries that he he banned, you know, travelers from coming into the U.S. And... um there was this one scientist who was studying in Switzerland and she had just gotten a job at Harvard and she was supposed to be researching TB and how the U.S., how Americans could be directly benefited from her research. And she wasn't allowed to fly to the U.S. because of this new um, yeah, the thing he signed executive order. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, just... Uh, just a little fun fact about that, you know, when you talk about benefiting the U.S. Well, this mm-hmm. is something that, you know, Americans could have had direct uh, direct benefit from. Right, right, Scientists right. coming to the U.S. to do their research and find cures, find find uh, medicine or, you know, cook up some stuff for some of these uh, illnesses and conditions and stuff. And he's potentially um, hurting those those possibilities. I will say, too, to elaborate on that, I remember when he was still um, in the middle of his presidential campaign, and like many other um, candidates, like, yeah, like many other, other candidates on the Republican side, you know, they were talking about just stopping the, the, the huge influx of refugees trying to come in from the Middle East, right, and from that part of the world, um, you know, because of the, um, the potential danger that um that may be you know kind of a rising in between all that or kind of you know in the cracks of those people or whatever you know mm-hmm. amongst them so um, i mean like and that's um that's not something i necessarily think is void of logic like it's definitely like okay yeah like i mean i get like donald trump's son made that analogy that got a lot of heat about the skittles and shit you know where he's like, well, if I gave you a bowl of Skittles and I told you one Skittle was poisonous out of the how many Skittles are in the bowl, would you still eat a Skittle? It's like, well, it's uh, not really worth it to me to eat a Skittle at that point, right? Like, yeah, like it's not a terrible um, right. viewpoint in my right. opinion, but I still don't agree with the policy, like as far as like banning people from coming in. And I'll tell you why, because when I saw that he signed that, and then we we're starting to hear the stories of people being detained at the airports and sent away or sent back or whatever, like, it just became that much more real 
You know, it wasn't just something people were talking about anymore. It's like, oh, shit, this is happening now. This is a thing now. We're actually denying people this, you know? Like, there was a humanistic um, element to that now. Yeah. You know? There's a, a realness to it. And so seeing that happen the past couple of days for me has been like, yeah, this is some this is some BS. I don't I don't know about this. Like this feels wrong. It feels bad. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna be semi devil's advocate, not completely, because I, I don't I don't disagree with I don't disagree with like opposing the order. The only thing is, okay, for that one skittle, how many of those other skittles are that is that one skittle gonna kill? Okay. Now in that bowl of skittles, it's only gonna kill that one person. That's gonna, that's gonna, you know. But that's in a bowl of skittles, so you don't know who's gonna be that one, right? And my only thing is that I think while it shouldn't be a the turn away, maybe a pause or like a slower progression to filter out that skittle. I think I don't think it should be a, a complete altering or even sending back. But I just feel like very in the middle. Cause, okay, I'll, I'll be honest with everybody and with you guys. Like, I didn't know what was going on until this morning because you posted, like, there at the protest this morning. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what's going So that's when I find, like, what's going on? Because we've been out, like, you know, I've been working on the podcast and then uh, dealing stuff yesterday, working out and whatnot. And then uh, we had corpus last night, so we were busy all afternoon. So I wasn't really, I wasn't engaged with anything that's going on in the mainstream media until this morning that I saw on my Instagram. And I was like, what's, what's going on? So I did my research. And I was like, okay, like, I, I, I don't agree with that. Because we are built on that. We are built on coming to this land, right? That we, t- that essentially took away from my answers. I have Indian blood, you know. Like I mean, okay, but okay, that that that's what it was in the past. We're here now. Okay, what can we do? What's going on? So maybe just a pause to a slow move, a slower movement to filter out those sour skittles, not a complete stop. So I, I'm very much like I said. Maybe my opinions in the middle. I don't know, cause I, but I'm not for it. But I'm not against the further evaluation of somebody. Now, I the next thing, the next question that I had was, how deep do you go into these evaluations of uh, per person? That's a lot of people. That's a lot of time. And who is going to do this work to to find these evaluations, do these things? So that's something. There's a lot of variables I don't know. So that's why I feel my opinion is very much in the middle. But if I had to choose one, no, I'm not. I'm not for it. But I feel like there's options within that order that we could use just that ultimate order is not the way to go yeah that that's what i think and And going back real quick to Mm -hmm. what you said about filtering out the skills Mm -hmm. in that same article that i was reading um somebody like a a scientist basically who's working here in the u.s was saying that it's so it's it's so unnecessary and un-american and it's unnecessary because I, I didn't know this. I don't know this for a fact, but he says that so many people have already been vetted to to they're deemed safe to come to the U.S. Right. So after all that money and efforts has as and manpower have mm-hmm. have has been, you know, going towards that effort. Now it's like a complete van ban after you've already right. vetted, you know, people to, to safely come to the U.S. Mm. So it's kind of like we're we're going backwards. Yeah. Well, and um, and I saw this morning on on my Facebook newsfeed. Are we still calling it that newsfeed? Is that still a term, a Facebook term? I don't even know. I don't have Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I look at you for that question <laughs> when I know for a fact that you don't have a Facebook. Anyway, so I'm I'm looking on my Facebook newsfeed, and um, well, I guess like in the in the recent episode, right, in episode two, um, traveling through transition, we had talked about 
college, and we t- touched a little bit on fraternities. So yes. I, I talked a little bit about how I had to drop my senior year because of uh, my own financial reasons and stuff like that. So one of our um, – we didn't call them pledges, um, but we called them associates. Okay, so the same concept as a pledge, um, you know, but, but we call them associates. So uh, one of our associates in our fraternity um, at that time that I had to drop, um, I saw him post something this morning um, because he's actually of Iranian descent. But he's lived um, in the U.K. and then he's like lived in the U.S. obviously because he goes to school in Nashville. Mm-hmm. But anyway, his, um, his original... Um, country of origin is is Iran. He's Iranian. So um, you know, he, I think he has a visa um, for the U.S. I think, and so he falls under this category of people that I think he was saying uh, on his Facebook status that he would have to leave the country within ninety days or something right. like that. So I, I was just like, yeah, and like, and I know this dude personally. Like, yeah. he's not. You know, He's not a terrorist, <laughs> like you know. <laughs> he's not a terrorist <laughs> for sure. Um, sweet guy. So I don't know, man. It, it's um, I don't know if anyone not directly involved or working directly with, um, you know, that branch of politics um, can really speak to how specific this executive order is. Right, because even Homeland Security like vouch for Trump's order, and th- and in in. Okay, in sec- that secluded sense, they should, because he's still the president for now. Right. It's an order. That's why it's it's an order. Like, I don't I don't like. I, I don't have much to say than just keep reiterating like and blabbing. I guess, um, on what's going on. Because also it's like, for those that are protesting, not those that are against, but there's a lot of people that are against it. Fine, my, myself included. But to make a decision on rational basis, not emotional basis. Yes. And I feel like for the protesters, the majority are not because they feel this way. Now, okay, the feelings matter. We're not robots. We're not robots for a reason. We're not androids for a reason. I'm just saying talk to your senators, talk to your Congress, talk talk to those people. Those people do as much as you protesting on the streets. Now, it works. Protesting works. But it's I think it's a way longer road than everybody sending a letter to your you know your congressman or whatnot. Um, uh, that's part of the main. Those are part of the main things because that's what I see. Because of what I've, you know, what I'm trying to use myself is detaching from a situation to accomplish the mission. And I don't want, I man. I don't want people to stop. I mean, there's there's a ton of good people. We've all met them all over from all over the world now. Yep. You know, we here in the valley when I was in Corpus, in Nashville. Even when I was in Nashville, just meeting cool people in general outside of Texas um, is awesome. When we went to California, me and Brian went to California, and Vegas, and Tahoe, and all these all these places. People from all over the world. And that's so it's awesome because that's that's what America is, and I agree with that. I just want rationalism. Yes, that's what I, that's what I am asking for. I cannot agree with you more. Um, yeah, I I'll, agree. Uh, I'll never forget um, seeing Temple Grandin speak at UTRGV mm. here in town. Literally a couple blocks away from where we are now. <laughs> um, Anyway, um, for those of you listening who may not know who Temple Grandin is, she um, was diagnosed with autism at a very early age, and um, she grew up, I want to say like in the 60s or 50s or 60s. Anyway, she's a much older lady now, okay? But she's autistic, and so 
people never really thought that she would come to do much with her life because of that. Okay. Well, she went on to, you know, become like one of, if not the world's leading researcher of agriculture and, and, um, and cattle studies and, and all this thing. And so she did and was responsible for so many, um, you know, like so many discoveries as to how um, how cows behave and how animals behave in general, and it and it went on to really affect um, the way that we currently ranch now mm-hmm. and how we take care of our animals in the ranch life. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it has such a huge effect over the animal, and it's just undisputable how um, how many contributions she's made towards the agriculture industry. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, she was speaking at. UTRGV, um, I think, last August. So not this past year, 2016, but 2015, okay. August. And I went to go see her speak. And um, some um, FFA student, there was a ton of FFA high school kids there. And um, one student decided to be that student to um, ask a political issue. The hot topic um, at that time was fracking. Yeah. Okay. So um, the student decides to ask, totally off topic, of course, because everyone's asking about agriculture, and this student decides to ask about how Temple felt about about fracking, right? And, you know, it's one of those hot topics to where you're either on side A or you're on side B, and depending on what side you're on, your mission is to bicker the shit out of the other side until they agree with your side, which never happens. So, um, you know, Temple took a really middle ground answer, and what she basically said, I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but what she basically said was there are a lot of people on, um, on the extremities on both ends arguing for their side and trying to belittle the other side. And what that leaves us with is very few people in the middle to actually come up with rational working solutions. And that's all she said. And I was just like, man, that is so freaking true so good so true and i wasn't like that before 2016 even before may of 2016 but going over it for you know from may until december and into now yeah i definitely try to do it myself and then i do uh i will say promote you know rationalism and uh, possibilities and not, not leaving out possibilities it's very important to detach First and foremost, I mean, this goes back to what Jocko talks about the most probably on his podcast, right? About detachment, emotional detachment from any given situation to be able to make a rational decision um, on the situation at hand. Mm -hmm. Which is, um, again, going back to my obsession with the show Shark Tank. So Kevin O'Leary, who's um, one of the sharks, he usually sits in the middle. He's the bald-headed guy. Mr. Wonderful is what they call him. (laughs) But he's always like... Sometimes brutally honest, but for the most part, he's just honest with everyone. And not everyone takes that um, very well, you know, his honesty. Yeah. But he's a very rational dude. Like, he never lets his emotions get in the way of a deal. Like, he's solely a numbers guy. He doesn't get any feels. (laughs) You know, he's, like, nearly a robot. Yeah, Yeah, I, I... I rarely agree with him just because of that. Because it's like, dude, you're not a robot. You're a human being. But his own stats speak for himself. So yeah. you can't argue with that. In his case, you can't argue with that. I just, it's just not my 
business approach. If that's not my approach, that's his approach. It's worked for him, obviously. So it's all good. I mean, in that case, that's where you agree to disagree. You leave it, but you leave it alone. You don't argue why yours is better than the other. You right. leave it alone. You keep going. You either work with them or you don't work with them. And that's as fat. That's as easy as it can end. You know, yeah. start, continue, or end. Yep. Every now and then he has an emotional moment on that show, and you think he's gonna do something humanistic like make a decent offer, <laughs> and then he's just like, "Your your story, your story is so touching. Let me tell you. Like I've got tears in my eyes," and he's like literally wiping tears from his eyes like he's actually crying, <laughs> and then he's like. But your numbers are so weak. I uh, I cannot justify doing this deal. You're Dang. dead to me. <laughs> like, <laughs> damn it, Kevin. <laughs> you asshole. So close. <laughs> oh man. No, but definitely in business, I think rationale is so important. Yeah. I'm gonna read this real real quick. Cause I found it in, in the book Meditation by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, this is uh, on book one. He lists a bunch of uh, characteristics that he learned from various people throughout his lifetime. And this one's from Apollonius. Moral freedom, the certainty to ignore the dice of fortune and have no other perspective, even for a moment, than that of reason alone. To be always the same man, unchanged, in sudden pain, in the loss of a child, in lingering sickness, to see clearly in his living example that a man can combine intensity and relaxation. The main thing I'm going to bring up is that he says to be a man of reason, even in the loss of a child, your child. Now, think of that. Think of having a child and losing your child and still trying to be a rational person. That is the ultimate time that you will never be a rational person. And that's what I wanted to point out from that sentence, from that uh, little paragraph. I mean, I guess it's it's important to have those uh, those humanistic moments that kind of ground us, right? Because we are emotional human beings; we react on emotion. So, and th- and that's important not to discredit emotion at all. It's needed. Yep. Right. We are um, instinctual human beings, right? And emotion is part of that instinct. Mm-hmm. So it's necessary. Right. Yeah, I'm just pointing out, like, imagine, okay, imagine being so reasonable as, I'm not saying you should be, but at least be until that moment. Be reasonable and, you know, in the in, if you're sick, oh, well, you're sick. Keep working or don't work, but, you know, get what you need to get done or rest, which I would suggest rest. If you're sick, rest. There's nothing wrong with resting if you're sick. Getting some medication, whatever. But... Just the depth of the fact of like trying to be, make a good decision after a loss of a child. I was going to say, you probably, if you're sick, you probably should rest. And there's the rationale. Rest, stay home, get better. Otherwise, you're going to go to work or wherever you're at with your friends and you're going to, you're going to endanger the entire organization. And continue to be sick yourself. Yes. Mm-hmm. And for, uh, I'm just going to throw this in there for a plug, but. Uh, BG, my G, my BJJ school. If you're sick, don't go. Like coach won't let you in. He'll he'll send you home. Yeah, like it does. It doesn't make sense rationally. Don't let your pride get in the way and say, "Oh, I never call in sick, or I never miss a day of work mm-hmm. at school, or you know, jujitsu, or I never miss the gym." No, like you you need to rest. You get need to better. get out of there because you're gonna endanger the entire organization. I can't stand when, um, when parents bring their uh, their children in for lessons. They're sick. When they're sick, yeah. Oh my God, it's the worst. 
You should not let them in. I can't, though, because it's their money. But there should be some kind of middle ground there. I should probably talk to my bosses about that. I was going to say, talk be. To, yeah, talk to somebody, because that then leaves germs in your room, and then other kids come in. And at, ki- at their age, they're prone to all that stuff. Um, what makes me sad is seeing kids at school sick. Yeah. It's like, person, human being, take your child to the doctor now. Please. Yeah. Please do yourself and your your child a favor. He's sick. She's sick. Take him to the doctor, please. And like for mine though, they're always like in the extremes. Like they they always come in with strep throat. Why in the <laughs> hell? Oh my god! Why in the hell would you come to a voice lesson w- strep. with strep throat? Why? 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 And you know that like I sing for a living. So wh- why are you gonna put that on me? You're gonna try to give me strep throat. You're gonna put me out of. Out of my business for two weeks? Come on. Like, be a little more considerate. Yeah. You know? That's annoying. I have, like, five bottles of Lysol in my room. As you should. <laughs> Spray down everything. I get it. Like, you know, you don't want to miss out on your money, but we can always reschedule. It's not a big deal. Yeah, especially if that's an option. Definitely. I mean, I, I, what I'm going to bring up when I was in retail, I learned how to call in sick. Because before you hear, I mean, I would hear from adults that, you know, raised me or were a part of my life. Like, oh, I didn't call in sick because I need, I need to work. I can't miss a day. I, I, And they have a thousand sick days and they call in once. I'm, I'm a thousand's exaggerating. But, <laughs> but you might as well have a thousand because if you have over 300 days of sick time, you, you could take a year off and they couldn't tell you anything. Another thing that a uh, fraternity brother and uh, a very good friend what he brought up um one time he he just wasn't feeling uh at his best he wasn't necessarily physically sick maybe he was uh stressed or or you know lack of sleep but what happened was a uh, an older coworker told him he's like dude just just call in sick go home sick and and my friend he's very he's very you know prideful and he's very he's also a very rational person but this hadn't hit him just yet he he was he just didn't want to call in sick. He's like, no, I have work to do. People are depending on me. I got to get things done. And his older coworker said, he's like, well, what are your sick days for? For when you're sick. And why are you sick? Or, or when do you consider yourself sick? Like, when you can't perform at your 100%. You're not going to do your job right. And you're going to end up jeopardizing, you know, the objective or, or y- your work or someone else's work. Mm-hmm. And my friend was like, you know what, you're right. I don't if I don't feel at my best and I have sick days, I'm gonna go home, get my rest, get better, and and, and come back at 100 percent, you know, when when right. when I can. And so for manage sorry sorry for managers out there that don't send your employees home sick. Oh, hey, can you come in just for a few hours to cover a shift? No, I'm sick. Managers, let them get better. Because then you get sick, and then, oh, I'm sick. And then because you are on salary, you don't your your days are different from there, so you don't really get affected. Hey, guys, I'm out today. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, guys, I'm, I'm out another day. I'll see you tomorrow. And then I, I know I experienced that in retail because the PTO and stuff was different. So, But that, that was the, the general saying was like, oh, okay, I'm, let's say I'm sick, literally. And I'm like, hey, I'm calling sick. I have sick time. You know, just use that. Fine. And then... Like, hey, can you just come in for like three hours? I just need, I just need you just to cover this piece of the time, you know, the the rush or whatever. And before I would say, yeah, I can go in, I'm I'm okay. But 
Eventually, I was like, no, like, I'm sick. I cannot go. I cannot function. And then, you know, I remember I, I d- did go once with the flu, and that was terrible. Dang. Yeah, but I went in, and it was, tr- oh, because it was truck day. You know what truck day is. I yeah, told you yeah, about yeah. what truck day is. I remember. Uh, basically, every Monday at this job, we'd unload truck. So I was the guy who unloaded every single box that every Monday, and I did that for over 52 weeks in a row, and I never missed until I realized, like, you know, I, I think at some point I got sick or whatever, and freaking dust and, like, the particles and shit in there, it's terrible. Anyways, that's a whole different podcast. Anyways, um, <clears throat> but I got to where it's like, okay, I cannot function. I can't walk, dude. I cannot walk. So for managers listening, if if they're sick, let them be sick. Now, there are exceptions, like, if you're, you know, you're BSing, you use sick time for not sick time, okay, those, you can, you after some time, you can put them out, especially if they've been there over a year. You can pin them out, but I'm talking about the people who are sick. Let them stay home. Tell them to go to the doctor and get better. Get it taken care of. Yeah, get it get it done. Let them come back 100% tomorrow the next day, and everything will be fine. Um, I feel like if you don't have enough employees to cover that one shift, there's something wrong in the system. And that's where like I'll go, I can go back to leadership and whatnot, but I'm not going to. Well, I have a story for exactly what you just said. <laughs> Proceed. So, again, going back to the bar back in days. Going back to my bar back in days. Ah, <laughs> um, oh, you know, grandkids. No, but uh, so when I was bar backing still at City Winery, for a while there, I was legitimately the only bar back in the entire place. And this was the case for probably three months. And um, during that, um, that period of time, when I was pretty much the only bar back, I uh, got hurt really randomly in a way I'd, I've never been hurt before. Like, I guess I had maybe just pulled a muscle or something. Broke a nail. <laughs> <laughs> so somehow I ended up with a bruised rib, which if you've ever, like, hurt your ribs in that way before, like, it, I might sound like, like a wuss, but it sucks. Like, well, I'll say it takes a lot to do it, that, even that. Yeah, well, it, it sucks just, it sucked just having a bruised rib. Yeah. Like, it was terrible. Don't know how it happened, but it happened, and I had a bruised rib. And it, it was, like, by far the worst pain I've ever experienced um, just because of the fact that you have so much trouble breathing when your ribs are hurt. It sucks to breathe. <laughs> it's, like, the one thing you have to do to stay alive. <laughs> it's, like, a requirement. <laughs> it's, like, you have to breathe to stay alive, and you Pretty can't optional. do it. <laughs> and anyway... And uh, and I'm supposed to, you know, on average walk 13 miles a night um, and up and down stairs making sure these bars are stacked and good to go. And I can't do that, like, with a cracked rib or a cracked rib, bruised rib, sorry, exaggerating my, my ailment. But um, anyway, and I told my managers that, like, I went to the doctor and I got checked out and they advised me to rest and I had a bruised rib and whatever. And I never heard back from anyone. So I had to go into work because no one ever told me that I could take the night off. I was Dang. like, n- just no one got back to me. So I was like, well, I'm not going to not show up to work. Like, they're yeah. depend- the building's going right. to fall apart if I'm not there. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm not wrong, though. Like, that, uh, that's such a cocky thing to say. Like, oh, the, the place is going to burst up in flames if I don't show up to work tonight. But, yeah, like, pretty much. Like, the, if there was not a bar back working, like, like shit got turned upside down. And then bars would not get stocked, and then, you know, and then there's no alcohol to sell to people, and then there's no cold beer to sell, or there's no um, chilled white wine to sell. 
or uh, we're out of this, but no one else knows, so everyone's frantically looking for it when it's not there. You know, like the place really does fall apart without a bar back. And I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm the whole reason that place is still going. <laughs> <laughs> not really, but one anyway. thing I'm gonna add to that, or I guess a uh, different, uh, I guess you know, that's the same thing. Anyways, um, is managers different managers running the same place differently? That affects a lot too. Like you have one manager that does things one way, and so people like that way, and maybe it's JV var- JV leadership. I don't know. You know, going back to like wanting to be loved, so they run it a certain way. Then you have another manager that's a little more stern and does things by the book, and people less like him less, or maybe people like him more because he's like he's by the book and he's good to go. They prefer that. And so when you have one manager working one day, you, that's, that's you have him flopping each day. Like one's Monday, one's Tuesday, one's Wednesday, one's Thursday, right? So throughout the week, you have him flopping back and forth. It's very, I've seen it be very hard to accomplish one thing because you have two different styles of management, two, two styles of leadership, in essence, uh, to accomplish the same thing of sales. I think it's necessary to have that balance, though, because I enjoyed having that balance. Like, I had the managers that were very stern and, like, numbers people and rules people and, like, abide by the rule, you know, like, yeah. stick by that, you okay. know, stick by the book. And uh, But then I had the managers that were like, uh, no, we can we can sneak behind here and take a shot together real quick. Like, <laughs> you know, like something that like you definitely shouldn't like ever do. Did they the have bar. the same mission? Oh yeah, no, everyone was still aligned with the same mission. See, and that that I'm talking uh, about the okay. ones who aren't. That's okay. when it works. Right. Fault. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, yeah, no, you're no, you're good. That's what, that's what I'm saying. Like, I want you to give. I want you. I want everybody to give examples of what they've seen. Uh, but I'm, I, while that's one where everybody has the same mission, I've dealt with those that aren't because like no and i've had that one who's by the book and he's good but he's like no my way's the way he goes to that second step of jb leadership saying my idea is best this is the way it's done and this is the way it's gonna be done and that's it okay so now that now that i understand what you're saying i do have a story back to the same job man this podcast we're just gonna title this podcast (laughs) eddie works at city winery (laughs) like that's anyway so there's this one time. Okay, so City Winery um, has a very nice upstairs lounge, which I think you remember. We, we, did we go up there when you? We were, didn't go upstairs. We no, didn't. we were just down. Yeah, it's a nice floor. little lounge, man. I they be, got I'm a cool I'm little stage. Looks, the whole place is awesome. Like, it's, it's just a cool experience. Yeah, general, but continue. Anyway, so in the lounge they usually have like uh, private events, like wedding receptions or little concerts, stuff like that. Mostly wedding receptions. Let's not kid. It's mostly wedding receptions, and. Um, so uh, of course uh, this was this would be around the time where, as I was expla- explaining earlier um, in our conversation, that we were just so short on glasses, on white and red glasses, that um, we're so short that one of the bars just was not going to have them, right? Okay. So this was my situation. I've got four bars. I've got the restaurant bar, which is bar number one. That's priority number one. That's the face of the restaurant or the face of the business, mm-hmm. the restaurant. Okay. And then there's the venue bar. Okay, priority number two. Very close tie to number one. Okay, so the restaurant was different from the venue in the sense that in the venue, it was like a dinner and a show. Like you ate and you ordered and they brought food to you and you did all that and then they took it away and then you watched like Steve Earle do a show, acoustic or whatever. Okay, and then uh, the restaurant was solely just eating. 
Okay. Just food. And then you leave. So priorities were restaurant, venue bar, and then there was a VIP area in the venue that also had its own bar, so I had to take care of that bar too. So that's three bars. Now, on these uh, special occasions where we had the lounge in use too for like wedding receptions and stuff, I'd have to take care of that bar as well. So that's four bars now to take care of in one night, okay? Easily done when you have enough materials and uh, you know enough tools for success to do that with. Okay, not so easy when you don't. So um, in this case, I don't have enough glasses to distribute evenly. So the situation for this night was I had like 90 people, um, 90 customers in the uh, in the lounge in the private wedding reception. And then I had a sold out venue. And then I had like, you know, it's like a Friday night in the restaurant. So it's going to be packed. So this is like doomsday for me, basically. Okay, like I'm going to be a chicken running around my head cut off like this is going to be nuts, okay? Sold out venue again, uh, Friday night in the restaurant. It's going to be a lot of people, and then uh, 90 more heads in the in the lounge area for the private event. Mm-hmm. So before the private event even starts, I go up to, um, you know, to the, to the manager that was in charge of running that private event. You know, she's the liaison for that private event, if you will. And I tell her, hey, here's the thing. We don't have enough white wine or red wine glasses for your bar for this private event. So how would you feel if we served wine in this glass. So we had enough of a particular glass that could also be used as a red wine glass um, in the appropriate um, nature of, of serving wine, if you will, in the professional nature of serving wine. Is it would be acceptable to serve it in this kind of glass as well. So I tell them, we have enough of this kind of glass. How about we bust these out and I get you guys these glasses and you use them as universal glasses for both white and red wine, okay? Because I got to take care of the restaurant and the venue um, downstairs um, and make sure they're all set to go with, with their glasses. And this manager just was not having it. Like, she's flipping on me, and she's like, it's like, um, no, like, these people paid a lot of money to have the space reserved and to have their wedding reception here, so we're definitely going to, like, make sure they have the appropriate glassware for, their, for whatever wine they're going to order. And my argument was that the restaurant is the face of the business, Okay, it's the first thing people see when they walk in. It's it's the number one thing. So the restaurant comes first. And then I explain now the second part of the business is the venue, the live music aspect of this whole setup, of this whole franchise. So that's number number two. Mm-hmm. Now, not that this wedding reception is not important, but it's it falls back in priority to what's going on tonight. So I basically overruled her decision and I'm basically like okay so I'm, I'm basically not asking anymore like I'm basically telling you like this is what's gonna happen okay sorry like like that's all I can do for you so sorry and what happened so she just wasn't having it so I just again like I'm gonna overrule her decision on that so I can't do it myself so I immediately go to the superior I go to the GM and I tell her hey this is what's going on this is what I told so and so they didn't agree I'm going to let you make the final call because I feel so strongly that, that that's not the right call in this situation. So I'm going to let you make this call after I explain to you what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so the GM ended up agreeing with me and siding with me that, that the venue and the restaurant come first and that the wedding reception comes third. Right. So go in that priority. And that's what we did. Hmm. But, um, but yeah, there is, um, but there was, um, I kind of painted the disagreement very lightly. It was not a light disagreement. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, it, was, uh, it was a disagreement nonetheless, so yeah, I, I get that. Well, yeah. like, not that the manager herself was basically yelling at me, but um, my peers, like, uh, like the wait staff, the servers, 
um, who were um, who were working the wedding reception, who wanted good tips that night, of course, um, who want to succeed to succeed and have the right tools to do that, which is fair. Right. They were very upset with me to the point where it, we were basically having not a shouting match, but it was very bitter. Mm. It was not a it was not a good good night for that. What did you learn from that? Um, I don't want to say I didn't learn anything, but it, it was one of the few situations where I had to um, be smart enough to say that what my boss was telling me was not gonna was not gonna happen, and that I I I had to go to a higher up boss and and get it reversed. Like I ha I had to surpass that level of leadership mm -hmm. to to ensure the benefit. Uh, uh, you know, to ensure the um. Ensure the success for everyone that night, right. not just for the wedding reception or for the venue or for the restaurant. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, that's the only way it would have worked for everyone. And I knew that within my heart of hearts with because I knew how to do my job inside and out, left and right, up and down, whatever. You know, like I knew how to do my job so well that I knew if, if we did not do what I was suggesting, the night was going to be a failure. Right. So, like, I had to surpass that leadership call and go to the next one which is the gm and convince her to take my side basically mm. which she did without even me having to really do much convincing because she right. already you know was of that mindset so you know as far as um as far as my peers being upset with my call on that one um and i mean fairly so like i i totally understand why they were upset with that because they want to use the appropriate you know, glassware, and, and just make sure they're doing everything they can to get good tips, mm -hmm. okay? I get it. I totally, totally freaking get it. But they were so bitter about it to the point where we were just, like, trading off nonsense to each other, you know, like stuff that just doesn't even matter. And um, for whatever reason, I decided to engage in that. So I really shouldn't have engaged in that back um, with them, but I did. Okay. But, um, you know... You live and you learn, and you get caught up in the moment. Shit right. happens. That's why I asked, "What did you learn?" Yeah. <laughs> but um, but again, but it's it's also you know even though we traded off like nonsense, I don't want to say insults, but um, you know we we just traded off a whole bunch of choice words that were not relevant, you know, um, to getting anything done, to making any progress. Um, even though we we traded off those words to each other. Um, I had already learned this from working security, um, the, the venue security, not to take anything personally. So I, I was like, wh whatever they're saying, I'm just not going to take it personally. Because I know at the end of the day, like, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to get done. And that's what's going to happen. Right. So that's it. Sorry. Right, yeah. Oh, good. good. I'm pretty sure their tip out was not affected by the glassware. And I'm pretty sure the people did not care at the wedding reception right. what alcohol or what glass they were drinking their alcohol from, so long as they were having their alcohol. Mm. Number one cause. Number one cause. Number one concern. Yeah, number one thing. Very cool. I think we're gonna call it there. Instead of our normal sign off, I am gonna read a piece from this book that I spent the majority of my 2016 year reading and rereading and studying and trying to apply it to my life on a daily basis. Called "Extreme Ownership: How U.S. Navy Seals Lead and Win." by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. They both served in Iraq, uh, task unit bruiser. They came out with this book that has a lot of uh, principles that you can use for leadership, but you can also use them for cliche life. And I do use a lot of them on a daily basis. So here we go. When subordinates aren't doing what they should, leaders 
that ex exercise extreme ownership cannot blame the subordinates. They must first look in the mirror at themselves. The leader bears full responsibility for explaining the strategic mission, developing the tactics, and securing the training and resources to enable the team to properly and successfully execute. In, if an individual on the team is not performing at the level required for the team to succeed, the leader must train and mentor the underperformer. But if the underperformer continually fails to meet standards, then a leader who exercises extreme ownership must be loyal to the team and the mission above any individual. Extreme ownership requires leaders to look at an organization's problems through the objective lens of reality without emotional attachments or to agendas or plans. It mandates that a leader set ego aside, accept responsibility for failures, attack weaknesses, and consistently work to build a better and more effective team. Such a leader, however, does not take credit for his or her team's successes, but bestows that honor upon his subordinate leaders and team members. When a leader sets such an example and expects this from junior leaders within the team, the mindset develops into the team's culture at every level. With extreme ownership, junior leaders take charge of their smaller teams and their piece of the mission. Efficiency and effectiveness in increase exponentially and, and a high performance. Winning team is the result. 